0: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the
1: Matt Townsend Show.
2: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
0: BYU Radio.
1: Good morning. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt who is away today and uh, hopefully you enjoyed your big long weekend. Hopefully you got president's day off yesterday i remember growing up when it wasn't just president's day there was abraham lincoln's birthday we got off and George washington's birthday birthday. as well didn't we Mm -hmm. didn't we
3: uh, and then we just well as every year well every four years or every eight years maybe you get more and more presidents and so you start excluding more and more important
1: ones as you go on it's not fair i tell you it's not fair. So
3: we should get 45 holidays now is what you're saying?
1: Absolutely. I think so, Absolutely. too. We've solved it. No, but it was a good one. We finally got to enjoy some snow. It was amazing. See, we don't even go out. We don't venture out sledding whenever we get snow. We just build this slide down our stairs on the back deck. So, And then we leave a pathway on either side so that you just walk right up.
3: See, that makes sense. At first you were saying down the stairs, and I was thinking, you don't even have to go outside to sled either. You don't have the cold, you don't have the snow inside your boots, but you do actually sled in snow. It's just down your back steps.
1: It was fantastic. We went to a movie. I got another nap. I've had like three naps in the last week or so. I don't know if uh, I'm that tired or if I'm that sick, but my sweet wife has not... Said a thing about me taking naps. Isn't that great? We got Cole Wissinger here, who's covering the board for us, as well as Terry South, of course. Did Did anybody watch the Olympics over the weekend? No. No, that's a no here as well. Of course, I did. You did, of course. It's the Olympics. Okay. So, how many more gold medals does USA have?
3: Uh, one or two.
1: That's it. <laughs> No, we, we have a few now. Come on. we've got. I think we've got one in the ice dancing, which I'm a little surprised. Possibly. Terry, don't pretend like you don't know which ones. You, you watched the ice dancing. I know you did. I didn't. What?
2: I had things to do. Like I was black. watching curling. Curling
3: we, is my sport.
2: Did we win that? Um, so- I saw a, a Russian was caught doping for... Curling. Yep. That's my uh, favorite uh, news of the performance day. Performance <laughs> enhancing drugs or something for curling. Like,
1: wow. All right. Wow. And I know you saw Black Panther over
2: the weekend. I did. And um it's good, but no one's really seen it, so you can't really talk about it yet. That's true. Made a lot of money. My wife fell asleep during all the important parts. It was great. No one other than the two hundred one million dollars well, yeah, worth of a lot of people fifth, saw biggest
3: it. box office opening in but the there's history. There's a lot of people of...
2: who haven't. You start talking about it, people get mad. So okay, I enjoyed the movie. So you're... it has a great storyline. Everything's good. Just go see it.
1: You're you're concerned for our viewing pleasure, then?
2: Yeah. Okay. I I could. You know, sit here and tell the whole story, but, you know, go see the movie.
1: So my wife typically does not care to go see some of these Marvel movies. So I decided I'm going to go see it with a friend. Now, hmm. there there is a mistake in that decision to go see it with a friend because now you're dealing with two schedules versus one schedule. Yeah. That's and, why I go uh, with my
2: wife. We have the same schedule.
1: My friend works great. switched the date on me uh, four times now. It keeps Oof. switching around. It was going to be Wednesday, then it was Thursday, then yesterday do, do afternoon. Do you have another
2: movie friend, someone who's more like willing know, to go right? see a movie, it seems like?
1: Yesterday afternoon, he's like, how about tonight? Couldn't do that. So he's yeah. like, all right, next Monday. So I've got to wait a whole week hmm. to go see it. It'll be there. I'm sure it'll be worth the wait. Anyway, Terry, any other news we should be paying
2: attention to this morning? Uh, yes, high school students who survived Wednesday's deadly shooting rampage in Florida say President Trump has declined an invitation to speak at an upcoming town hall on gun violence. This out of uh, CNN this morning. Instead, the White House has announced a listening session with students, though it's not clear if that event will include survivors of the massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, where 17 people were shot. If Donald Trump wants us to listen, he should have taken the first invitation. Survivor Alex Wynn told Mm. CNN on Monday, we're not going to come to him. He's going to need to come to us. Emma Gonzalez, another survivor, said the listening session with students was just a way for Trump to avoid angry survivors. The fact that he has organized uh, this just proves that he's scared of us and he doesn't want to have a face-to-face, She told CNN. Along with Trump, Florida Governor Rick Scott has also reportedly declined an invitation to speak at the town hall event in Florida. On Wednesday, the event will feature survivors of and shooting of the uh, shooting and parents of the victims. Them so fighting words. Why wow. wouldn't the governor of the state where it happened appear to talk to his constituents? Well,
1: maybe it's like they said. Maybe they're scared. I it that that's got to be a, a difficult task to get up there in front of the, a lot of angry people who want well, answers, and you might not have the. But answers. But at the same
2: time, you're. They're elected official. That's they're true. saying, come talk to us about what the government is planning on doing after our kids were, you know, and the idea of they invite you and then you set up your own in Washington, D.C., and you're not, it's not clear if you're inviting anyone from this or, yeah. you know, from this shooting that just barely happened, but you're now just doing a listening session. It, seems safer to do that. There's a lot of missteps happening. Yeah. You know, mm. so we'll see what happens as it goes forward. There's a lot of voices now where... There's a bus trip with students planned to go to the Capitol in Tallahassee, Florida to address their you know, political leaders on what they're doing on gun safety. And uh, we'll see where that goes.
1: Good for them. I, I mean, this is how you get involved in the political process and it making is,
2: change. Because the political process isn't going to change anything. Right. If you remember when the Democrats were in charge, they didn't change anything either. <laughs> so let's just stop pointing fingers. President Trump supports uh, efforts to improve the federal system for background checks. In the purchasing of firearms, the White House said on Monday, while discussions are ongoing and revisions are being considered, the president is supportive of efforts to improve the federal background check system. Uh, Trump is said to have spoken to Senator John Cornyn of Texas on Friday about legislation the lawmaker introduced to improve the background check process. Trump's vow to support... Uh, comes uh, support for the effort comes amid mounting calls for gun control in the wake of the shooting in Florida last week. Students who survived the attack have put the pressure on Trump, personally accusing him of staying silent on gun control because his campaign is backed by the NRA. Trump, also, who also ran as a pro-gun candidate, also expressed an openness to banning bump stocks after the deadly Las Vegas shooting last fall, though no significant process has been made On that front, and as we've talked Mm. about, it basically disappeared just a couple weeks afterwards. Everyone stopped talking. Last year, Trump uh, revoked an Obama-era regulation making it harder for people with mental illness to purchase firearms. Boy,
3: if Texas is willing to talk to him, I think that we're at a place in the country to talk a little bit. Oh, sure. It's
2: one guy in Texas. See, he 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 found one guy in Texas. That's still something. He may be in the middle of uh, of his uh, run, he doesn't have to – he's not being reelected this year, you know, so he's kind of safe for a year, so he mm. can do something. I don't – there's always these political thoughts involved where why is this happening right now? See, it's it seems like people
1: – more people are still saying, oh, this isn't a gun issue. This is a mental health issue. It's both. I wonder what's going – what it's going to take to kind of tip the scale. I don't know.
2: Hmm. Some are saying it'll be the kids. That would be fantastic. Yeah, it's these kids that are – are are doing this in Florida, and it's starting to spread. You see it in different states as kids are are standing up to 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 try to make their voice heard like we don't you're the they're saying you're the adult, do something right and it's a much it's a much louder message than other adults looking at each other saying do something. You got the kids who are like we don't want we want to go to school and be safe yeah we don't want to go to school and worry about this all the time, so let's stop this
1: this is great. I mean this is coming from the people that very well could have died that day, right so yeah.
2: They know what they're talking about. So we'll see what happens as this will happen throughout this week. Uh, The majority of Americans at the prime age to serve in the armed forces are actually ineligible to do so because of obesity, health concerns, education, or criminal records, according to a political report. In total, almost three quarters of Americans between the ages of 17 and 24 are not fit to serve, putting a damper on the Trump administration's plan to beef up the armed forces. The U.S. military is already having a hard time attracting enough qualified volunteers. A New Heritage Foundation paper on the concerns concludes of the four services uh the uh, army has the greatest annual need the army anticipates problems with meeting its 2018 goal to enlist 80,000 qualified volunteers even with increased bonuses and incentives easing recruiting uh, standards has been in consideration although many are opposed they they've they cut down on the standard in the sense of if you had a criminal record they allowed, you know, they dropped that threshold. Mm-hmm. They allowed more people in. They had more problems. Mm. Go figure. People who are, you know, they have that history. Sure. They they tend to repeat that. Um, they don't want to drop the physical standards because you, you sure. need to function as a soldier. Right. And if you're obese or have other health problems, they can't let you in. And just there's not enough people that are physically meet the standard to, yeah. to fill out the quota. Yeah. So
3: let's let's say that they have a lot of need and they bring back some kind of... Draft. Let's say, how old do I have to get before I'm not um considered for that? <laughs>
2: uh, it depends on the need. Okay. I was really concerned when I was your age. Mm, right? You know, you, at some point you you have to uh, sign up for the draft. Uh, yeah, right? i Did that when I was 18. Yeah, that, that's that's uh-huh. kind of a day where you're like, oh boy. <laughs> you know, what's going on? And you get to about 25, 26, you start getting too old for okay. whatever, but it's more like 30. Oh, okay. Mm. So you, got, you, got you a, worried, you're... Cole?
1: What? You worried that they're going to spring into action here? You never know.
2: Hmm. Okay. Well, We're okay. talking about it. Yeah. It's... You start thinking about it. Yeah. You start filling out that paperwork at, what, 18? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, man.
3: See, before they'll, before they'll give you any federal aid for college, they I, have
2: to make sure that you were signed when up When I was for... 18, Persian Gulf 1 and 2 right in the middle there, George W. Bush, they were actually <sighs> kicking around the idea, do we need a draft? People were talking about it on the news. And I don't know if anyone actually thought, like, let's move forward with it, but people were talking. I was scared. I'm like, I don't necessarily want to go to war
3: yeah i still remember my high school civics teacher telling us and this was still george w bush was my president too in high school he said he like guaranteed us that there was going to be some kind of draft before oh wow but
1: i mean he's also been wrong about other
3: things i don't
1: think they ever would have taken me because since i was 18 i had no since i was 11 i had a significant
2: hearing loss oh Hmm? and then you could play it up what yeah what was that I didn't hear anything. See, I'm
3: colorblind. They won't draft me to uh, fly any planes anytime soon. That's true.
2: That's so true. We'll just tell you it's green. It's the Army, right? It's green. Go. Go. They'll make you arm the planes, though. Um, That'll be your job.
3: Lift heavy things. That's, yeah. That's what I'm equipped to do. <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> Finally, a South Pacific cruise was interrupted by brawls, apparently, caused by a 23-member family who threw punches at other passengers, some of whom they said locked themselves in cabins to escape the three days of violence. What? The Carnival Cruise legend uh, arrived in its home port of Melbourne on, on Saturday, a day after a family was offloaded in an unscheduled stop in Eden, New South Wales in Australia. Police say they were investigating the incident and the operator apologized for the disruptive behavior by the group that was removed from the cruise liner. The big Italian family, as they're described, (laughs) spent days attacking Australians aboard the ship with uh, people getting strangled and punched up, according to one passenger. Very violent. They were on full attack, the the woman said. Uh, She also questioned the ship's management, quoting the captain as saying, what do you want me to do about it? Throw them overboard? Cell phone video footage purportedly of the brawl on Friday showed security guards fighting and trying to separate passengers amid shouting and kicking. One passenger Uh. said, I was watching the fight, and one guy came up to me and said, do you want to go back? Two, bro! Which is always when you got the do really? you want to go do you want to do you want to go bro kind of guy that's kind of uh, sure yeah he said adding the offenders were in their late teens and early twenties my mom had to drag me away from it all they were trying to pick on any Aussie they could find Carnival Cruise Line said it was offering guests a twenty five percent future cruise credit as a goodwill gesture <laughs> but some passengers criticized the offer it was a ten day cruise three days of violence and hiding in your
1: wow state rooms. see now this is what happens when a cruise ship runs out of people. Pizza is that what it at is? the all-you-can-eat pizza I've had buffet. i some
2: of that pizza. It's not very good.
1: It doesn't matter. Really? Just there's, pizza? There's the buffet mentality. It doesn't matter mm. if it's good, but you have to be able to eat as much as you possibly can. If you run out, mm. oof. And don't you
3: dare tell me what I can or can't eat when I get there. Right. Just because the pizza's not as good as the mac and cheese, maybe, if you've run out of pizza, <laughs> I'm still going to be a little bit, you know,
4: hot oh, over yeah. the collar.
1: And I love, I love the wording of that, too. There was a family that was... Offloaded? Yes. Instead of we kicked them off, off the-, the ship. <laughs> yeah.
5: <laughs> hmm.
1: Okay. Man, I, I can't think of... It's so weird because when you're on a cruise, you have like zero cares in the world. I wonder right. what was behind the scenes here. What could have caused this family to go off the rails like Well, you this?
3: said a 23-person family? Yeah. If I
1: was in close
3: confines with my three-person family for 10 days oh, in a wow. row things might
2: start getting a little bit. You see those ships are big enough you can hide in a corner and you, maybe you see your family every once in a while. How many different could, rooms did they but, book out? But in you're the looking cruise, at 23 though. people. That's, yeah. that's quite mm. a few. I don't know. Seriously. The video footage is crazy. You're just, oh, I bet. Just fights all over the place. Wow, look at that.
1: No cares. You don't have to cook. You don't have to find babysitters. You don't have to work. You don't even have to exercise if you don't want to. What could
2: possibly have caused this? But Cole thinks it's... But fighting. hey, they got twenty five percent off the next cruise. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people are like, I don't know, because I don't know if I ever want to go on your cruise again. Yeah, and twenty five percent off the next one, it's still seventy five percent of the cruise I got to pay for. Then you have all the
1: booking fees.
2: Mm. And really, you you they the
1: gratuity. only got seventy five percent of our cruise
3: this time around. That's as right. Just well. put the
2: rest hiding in the stateroom.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I blame the. Uh, the uh, pizza buffet. Not enough pizza. On a bad day, that could send me off the rails. Especially On a I'd normal day, really. Especially if th- what paid <laughs> thousands of dollars for a cruise. Yeah, you got to keep that thing stocked. I'm sure that's not what the issue was. Anything else, Terry, we should be do wondering you, about? Do you get lucky charms? I don't. I do.
2: I know. I'm <laughs>
1: just worked. waiting for it. I, I'm. It's nothing against the Irish.
2: What do you like about Lucky Charms, Cole? The sugar, the marshmallows, the yes. Is there a specific marshmallow, or they're all the same? So
3: there's the hearts, stars, and horseshoes, clovers, and blue moons, pot of gold, and rainbows, and the red balloons. Um, they're all equal in my eye. I love wow. them all.
1: I'm waiting for you to say they're magically delicious.
3: da da, 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 da.
2: That's Matt's line. <laughs> you know the jingle too. Wow. so uh, lucky charms has announced this new first or its first new permanent marshmallow in 10 years oh boy you get a new flavor are they flavored well so n- no <laughs> they all they just...
3: all do taste just like marshmallows but okay. it's because they're getting rid of the little hourglass ones ah. which were supposed to be temporary yeah. and then they were brought back by popular demand and now they're going away so they need to replace the hourglass so it says the hourglass
1: was popular
3: Yeah. Popular
2: enough that people were demanding it. Yes. It says, move aside hourglass. Uh, Lucky Charms has unveiled its new marshmallow, a magical unicorn. Now, that makes sense. They're retiring the hourglass marshmallow. The hourglass marbit, as they're calling it, will soon be officially retired. Um, They asked social media users to vote on which marshmallow they would like to see. And they answered by answering with an emoji, right? Because, you know, Hmm. that's the... That's the age group that's eating this product because oh, yeah. it's not actually food. It's just sugar, as you pointed out. Yep. Cold. And sure enough, the newest marshmallow is a unicorn. Looks like the emoji, if there is one. <laughs> um, according to Josh DeWitt, marketing manager at Lucky Charms, which is a job, uh, the unicorn marshmallow <laughs> was selected by the youngest customers. We decided to introduce a new charm with the help of keeping the magic themselves uh, they, uh, for the kids, the keepers of magic marketing um wasn't so, that green
1: Gots? aren't they the keepers of no they're the keepers of gold Sorry. so he
2: goes we decided to introduce a new charm with the help of the keepers of magic themselves kids they spoke Aww. and after hearing, hearing their love for magical unicorns we decided to make the marshmallow uh so it was a future hues of bright purple and blues the first ever marshmallow to be inspired and created by kids
1: Oh, yeah! it's so fantastic. I'm just grateful it wasn't inspired by another one of the emojis that shall remain nameless.
2: The new unicorn charms have already begun to appear in original boxes and chocolate Lucky Charms cereals. Ooh. All right. See, I'm now,
3: going grocery shopping tonight. I know what my next cereal box is going to be. Look are for we? The unicorn.
1: Are we going to get the unicorn, though, in, like, the special edition vintage box that they come out with every once in a while? Maybe.
2: Hmm. Okay. I'm just making that up. It did not say. So
1: is there a pot of gold in Lucky Charms? The pot of gold is in your mouth. See, it seems it's like the sugar bomb you get when you're done. It seems like mm-hmm. it would make more sense to have a pot of gold than a unicorn, Ooh. especially since leprechauns are usually associated with pots of gold. Didn't or, you hear
3: me sing the song? Pot of gold was one of them.
1: Oh, OK. There
3: is. There's already one.
1: Yeah, or I'm sorry. I think and I that, don't think there's a pot of gold emoji for the kids to vote on either. I, I think it, technically it's pot of gold. Pots of gold? Anyway, uh, we here on the Matt Townsend Show are all about helping you learn. We're all – we are actually – we here on the show are the keepers of magic. This show can be magic. And to illustrate that, we are going to be speaking with our next guest who's going to be talking to us about learning – and why it's important to learn. And uh, it's, it's going to be a great interview. It's from the author of The Ultimate Gift. How's that for a tease? When we return, this is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. Jim Stovall, author of The Art of Learning and Self-Development, extends the challenge to ask yourself, am I where I need to be educationally, and are there other opportunities to learn in my life? Jim is with us today to discuss his suggestions on how we can develop ourselves to our fullest potential. Jim has enjoyed success as an author, athlete, investment broker, and entrepreneur while dealing with the challenge of blindness. Jim, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show.
4: Thank you. It's great to be with you.
1: I was excited to speak with you this morning, and I'm curious to know on the back of your book, it says that there is no skill, information, or lesson more vital than learning how to learn and i was hoping that you could uh, expand upon that
4: well our ancestors made their living based on what they did with the uh, the sweat of their brow and uh, and their hands and their back and they made that's how they made their living based on what they did we make our living today based on what we know and it's becoming more and more vital that we continue learning as an ongoing process Because uh, I don't care if you're the cutting-edge leading expert in your field today, five years from now you'll be obsolete if you don't continue learning. Right. So, you know, this thing that we can create, uh, an educational process we call school, and then at the end of that, we're done. We've learned what we need to know. Those days are gone. You know, learning is an ongoing part of who we are and what we do, and that's going to continue and even accelerate more into the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Jim, the name of the book is The Art of Learning and Self-Development, and you are the the co-author of this book, correct?
4: Yes. I've written 40-some-odd books, and this is my fourth with Dr. Raymond Hall. Uh, Dr. Hall and I met when we were both working at a conference in Washington for the U.S. Department of Education. And Ray is one of the world's leading authorities on audiology, listening, uh, those sorts of things. He teaches doctoral courses. And... You know, we just found that we meshed together. Most of what I've learned in this life, I learned the hard way. I, uh, The school of hard knocks, and uh, and I got the things I didn't uh, learn at first, I got to do again and again and again. And most of Ray's background is in the academic setting. So the two of us together kind of combined on this title because part of our learning is going to be academic, and part of it is going to be in the real world.
1: Yeah. So you gave you gave some examples already but who would you say that uh, who would you say this book is intended to help?
4: You know, all of us, uh, you know, anybody um that's going to continue to learn and grow and reach their goals and be successful in this life because whoever you are you're going to have to learn i, I think people that are out of school probably are going to benefit more from this although this title is being used a lot in uh, educational programs uh, at universities as as a teaching aid but i think you know more this is going to help professionals or people who want to further themselves in this life and uh, you know and even even young people in school. Mark Twain may have said it best when he said, I never let school get in the way of my education. And uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) sometimes school is not the best environment for learning because uh, in the world today we succeed based on thinking out of the box, innovating, being different, creating a new wrinkle on things but in school we have to sit in the row and do things the right way and there's one way to do it and you know that doesn't meet the strengths of a lot of young people so uh... you know we call them today learning differences instead of learning disabilities and you know as a blind person myself And, you know, I write books I can't read that are turned into movies I can't watch, and, you know, (laughs) that's my life. And if I had to read the same way you do or most of the people listening to us right now, I would have never learned anything. And I'm embarrassed to say that uh, when I could read with my eyes... Uh, I don't know that I ever read a whole book. I was an athlete. I thought I was going to make my living in the NFL. And, uh, you know, I never really made a priority out of of reading or learning. After losing my sight and discovering high-speed digital audio, I read a book every day. There hasn't been a day in the last 30 years I haven't read an entire book. And that has changed my life. Just the opportunity to learn and be a learner and becoming a reader made me want to be a writer.
1: So, Jim, you, you talked about this a little bit, but tell us a little bit more about some of the different ways that we learn, because it's not like a one-size-fits-all scenario like you were talking about in school. What are some of the different ways that we learn?
4: Well, even in the corporate setting, when I yeah. talk to my people here at the, at the Narrative Television Network, I know there are some people up and down the hall, they're all talented, but there are some people I need to put it in writing and email it to them because they need to look at it. There are other people, they need to go downstairs into the studio so we can actually see it happen. There are some people that need to repeat it back to me, and that's how they learn it, by repeating it back to me and making sure they have it. And then, you know, then there are other people that learn as part of a team, and they bring their part of it to it, or they even multitask, and there's other people that are very linear. They need to know everything about A before they go to B, and then there are people that, you know, they need to look at the whole alphabet before they start putting it together.
1: If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Jim Stovall, who's the co-author of The Art of Learning and Self-Development. And, Jim, you, just, you talked to us about some of the different ways that we learn. How about action steps for learning? What are, things, what are things that we need to do to be learning?
4: Well, first you need to decide where you want to go in this life. And the best advice I can give you is don't ever take advice from anybody that doesn't have what you want. Uh, you know, uh, the weight loss advice from uh, overweight doctors or uh, legal advice from lawyers that are incarcerated, uh, that's probably not your <laughs> best bet. Don't take advice from anybody that doesn't have what you want. And, you know, the people trying to sell you things on late night cable or things, they may or quite likely may not be the right source for that. You need to do a little work, go out in the community. And when you find someone that is is living their life the way you want to, and they're succeeding in the ways you want to, always ask them, what do you read on a daily basis? What books are you reading? What periodicals do you read? What seminars do you go to? And um, you'll find yourself starting to learn what the people at the top learn.
1: Now, is there a way to do that and also tailor it to your best way of learning? Because I assume that even if you were to try to copy the success of, of the, the people that uh, you admire, it seems like you would still need to somehow figure out a way to tailor that to yourself.
4: Yeah. You know, most things are available now in audio. You can sit down and, and go back through a lot of workbooks are available with things. Uh, for example, my company, the Narrative Television Network, uh, what we do all day, every day, is we make movies, TV, and educational programming accessible for millions of blind people. So. You know, people may find the thing they want, but it's in a visual format, and they're not able to access it. So the information is out there. You know, we live in the information age, and our ancestors had the problem of uh, they couldn't find the information. We need to get through all the clutter to find the piece of information that matters most to us, and that's our biggest challenge today.
1: And it seems like as we age and as we have other challenges that come up in life, our, the way that we learn may change as well. How do we deal with that? How do we, when we have less and less information that we're, it seems like we can retain as we age, how can we change, how can we, how can we make that change so that we can continue learning?
4: Well, one of the things I tell my people here all the time is, is look, bottom line me, Uh you know, after we, you and I finish talking here, I'm going into a meeting, and we're going to be looking at some platforms to deliver some videos. Um, I'll be the least knowledgeable person in the room, bar none, about the topic, and I don't want to know everything about it. I don't need to... Uh, have you describe how to build a watch in order to tell me what time it is uh, you know i need to know here's here's a few things i want to know and i don't want to clutter up my mind with the rest of that because frankly i have people here that are that are experts at that i just need to know what i need to know in order to make a decision i need efficient cost-effective universally available. Let's take a look at these elements and then let's make a decision. And those are the things I want to know. I couldn't be the f- I couldn't tell you the first thing about these platforms we're looking at or or anything else we do. There's no one in my office that I could do their job. So I just want to know the things I need to know to make the decision.
1: Yeah. So uh, let's take this from kind of a different perspective here. So I'm, I'm a parent of three young children, and so everything is still relatively new for us, and that includes the learning process with our children. How, what is a, how would you say we could identify some of the ways that are most effective for our children to learn?
4: Well, one of the things we need to do is make it compelling. Kids learn in their first three or four years of life and they don't think they're learning they never they don't sit around while they're playing with the blocks or listening to people and copying the speech they don't think boy i'm learning today they don't think about that they just uh... absorb the things they're interested in and one of the things we do not do well as parents teachers uh, leaders is explaining why this matters uh, uh, one of my books the ultimate gift and the movie based on that is used as a curriculum in Uh, several thousand schools across the country, and because of that, I get to be in a lot of classrooms and do a lot of satellite things with kids in their classrooms, and I have sat in the back of U.S. history classes when they're talking about World War II, and people are going to sleep, and I was just about to join them. I mean, (laughs) we have found a way to make the most compelling subjects boring. And, you know, I thought at the time that had come out, uh, a guy I really admire in the movie industry, Tom Hanks, had just made the movie Saving Private Ryan. And they spent $100 million to make this movie, and it became a worldwide hit because it's a compelling subject. The whole world is hanging in the balance. But somehow we can take a bunch of young people, and we have a teacher up there that uh, we make it boring. And we need to explain to them, here's what happened, and here's why this matters to all of us today. And that's probably the biggest thing we fall down on, is why this matters. Because I always tell my movie partners, if you can tell a great story, you earn the right to share your message. But too often people in the school think, I don't have to be interesting, I don't have to be compelling, I don't have to be relevant, because these kids got to sit here all hour anyway. Well, when we start looking at we have to earn their attention and then we we get them engaged, and then it becomes something they're interested in, not something they have to uh, suffer through.
1: Yeah, how do how do business leaders how do teachers overcome that obstacle of trying to find a way to reach as many people as possible when everybody has different ways of learning? How do you how do you overcome that? Well,
4: you look at the, at the, at the um, lowest common denominator. What's the way you can? Present it to the most people, but then reinforce it in writing. Uh, it's available, you know. So if I go in to make a speech in a company, I want to be able to tell them, hey, the 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 notes from this will be available online, and for those of you who want to watch it over, it'll be available here. And if you want workbook questions, it's available over there. And then if you want support material, here's a couple other texts I would recommend you read, so that people have an opportunity to access that information. In ways that uh, fit best for them.
1: Yeah. And, and speaking of the school system, it, it seems a lot of people would argue that the way that the current school system works is not all that effective. Do you have any ideas for things that would make it more effective that would be more conducive to people using their own method of learning to to actually learn?
4: Well, I think when we can offer more things online and You know, now I see a lot of these kids in their classroom. Uh, They have a teacher there, but when it comes to the lecture or whatever, they are beaming in uh, a noted expert in the field from around the world. So if we're learning science or archaeology, we actually, on the screen, here's a guy in Egypt right now in the middle of an archaeological dig, and we can talk to him, and we can find out why does this matter to us. And I think that's the biggest thing, because these kids... They're bored out of their skull sitting in the classroom, but they have an iPhone, a smartphone there that makes them more intelligent and and they have more information than anybody on the planet ever had before uh, 20, 30 years ago. I mean, they have access to all this information and they engage it aggressively and they're excited about it, and all we need to do is get the learning process in that format where they look at it as more of a game or something they're interested in or something they're sharing with their friends or whatever the case may be, and then all of a sudden we're not learning anymore. We are actually just experiencing something we want to experience. Yeah.
1: Excuse me. Jim, with, with a lot of people saying today that, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, how do we get back to that mentality of it's what you know? How can we how can we use our learning to help us achieve our goals in
4: life? Well, and I believe both are true. It is what you know and who you know. But we're not limited by who we know. We can we can look especially online. You can meet anybody you want to meet. I mean, I'm a blind guy from Oklahoma that started in the TV and movie industry, and uh, I, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, and I I grasp onto this concept I call my dream team. And I thought, if I could have anybody around me here to advise me, who would it be? And I reached out to people like Ted Turner and Michael Markovsky and people like that. And I wrote them a simple letter and asked, this is who I am, what I'm doing. I'd like to be able to call on you a few times a year when I need some advice. And uh, 30 years later, I still do that. And uh, when I went into the financial business, I... Befriended Steve Forbes. I didn't know Steve Forbes uh, from the Man in the Moon. I wrote him a letter and asked. And then when I went into the TV uh, business and the movie business, I, you know, I wrote letters to, uh, you know, Academy Award-winning directors and producers and asked to come on the set and learn. And you'll find people. Are, are very amenable to this. Now, don't think you're going to ask five people, and all five of them are going to say yes. I, I've been turned down by some of the best people in the world, but that doesn't bother me. So, you can you can impact what you know and who you know, just by reaching out and asking. You have not because you ask not.
1: And Jim, just just in closing here, what are some action steps that we can take today to to start learning or to identify the different methods of learning that can help us achieve our goals?
4: and think where do I want to be in my life people spend more time planning their three-day weekend than they do what are they going to do for the rest of their life and this life we're living right now this is not a practice game so think if I could be do and have anything I wanted in this life what would that look like and then once you have crystallized that in your mind ask yourself what do the people that are currently experiencing what I want what do they know that I don't know and how do I learn it and that's, that's the key to this. I, it's not about getting more information randomly. It's about targeting the information as fuel to get you from where you are to where you want to be.
1: Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time here on The Matt Townsend Show. His name is Jim Stovall, and he's the co-author of The Art of Learning and Self-Development. And he's been talking to us about the different ways that we learn and the action steps that we need to take to continue learning throughout our lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. A lot of times we think about what would we like to be in our obituary when we pass on? Or what would we like the people, what would we like our friends and family members to say about us when we pass on? Well Terry South is going to share with us
2: an obituary. And uh, hopefully it's not anybody we know. No. Okay, good. You were asking in the break, am I gonna share is this funny? <laughs> Which the, the other side of yeah I'm gonna share a depressing one. <laughs> well you never know. I like the ones where you start calling out your uh, your enemies. Oh yeah. And just embarrassing them. Just it's your last last <laughs> chance to do that as you are hitting the grave. So, guy's married for 48 years, Terry Wayne Ward, 71 of Demont, Indiana. Okay. Says he escaped this mortal realm Tuesday, January 23rd, leaving behind 32 jars of Miracle Whip, 17 boxes of Hamburger Helper, and multitudes of other random items that would prove helpful. In the event of a zombie apocalypse, I love that he said he escaped. He escaped this, this life. mortal wow. realm. He was married 48 years. Um, mm-hmm. She gladly accepted the sympathy of others for those 48, as he says in this, or as it says in this. <laughs> Um, the humor in this, you're wondering, did he have a hand in writing it just to make it sure. funny? I kinda, so he says he graduated from high school, uh, where only three of his teachers took an early retirement after having had him as a student. He met the love of his life, uh, by telling her he was a lineman. He didn't specify early that it wasn't for football, but it was for the <laughs> phone company, you know, so. um, uh, they, what, what 1969 they got married. He says it was right between – fit perfectly between the summer of love and the winter of regret. Hmm. Whatever that was. Okay. He volunteered for service in the Army, was an active combat veteran for the Vietnam War, retired from AT&T, 39 years, begrudging service where he accumulated roughly 300,000 rolls of black electrical tape during the course of his career, which he used for everything from open wounds to don't use this button covers. Oh, my goodness. He had a lot of left left wow. tape in the house. He enjoyed many things. Among those were hunting, fishing, golfing, snorkeling, ABBA, hiking, turkey runs, oh, uh, so chopping wood, shooting guns, Bed, Bath & Beyond, Starlight Mints, the History Channel, CCR, war movies, discussing who makes the best pizza, the Chicago White Sox, old Buicks, and above all, his family. See, now I feel
1: sad because he's going to miss or he's missing uh, the new ABBA movie. Here We Go Again.
2: And he would probably be the only one that would say they miss it. Mm. Are you looking forward to the new album movie? I didn't see the first one. Yeah. So I don't don't really
1: feel the need to see (laughs) Here We
2: Go Again. Uh, He was a renowned distributor of popsicles and ice cream sandwiches to his grandchildren. He had... Seven, I believe. He also turned on programs such as Phineas and Ferb for his grand youngins, <laughs> usually when they were actually there. He liked to watch the show, apparently. Hmm. Uh, if you watch it, it's a funny show.
1: There's I don't of, doubt it. There's
2: a lot of adult elements in there. Okay. Like, you know, those you get to the Pixar movies and you have the level that the adults understand and yeah. then the level of the kids. The same kind of concept with Phineas and Ferb. So
1: I don't know how you could try to sneak that past your significant other that you're a lineman. Making her think it's a football team. Yeah. How come you never invite me to your games?
2: Right, right. It says he despised uppity foods. Uppity foods? Which is, I think, why I enjoy it. Like hummus. Okay, okay. Give me a break. Hummus, come on. All right. So You mash up some chickpeas, give it a different name, and try to, you know, sail it under. There was a, a thing over the weekend. There is a shortage of chickpeas. Really? Yeah. So that'll affect people's availability and uh, to get hummus. I'm like, why is this a bad thing? Yeah. See, I'm, I'm, I, I, I guess hummus is all right. I just it's really close to pumice, and that's what you use to rub the skin off your feet. So I'm, you know. I think hummus can also be used for that. Uh, he loved to call it bean dip instead of hummus because that's <laughs> kind of what it is. Uh, he loved uh, says he didn't care about the most material things, and automobiles were never to be purchased new. He never owned a personal cell phone, and he had zero working knowledge of the Kardashians. So. We've lost a, a true hero here. I admire this guy for so many reasons. He died knowing that the Blues Brothers was the best movie ever. Whoa. That Clint Eastwood was the, the best, uh, What the? he was the, the most manly man on the planet. Okay. And the hot sauce can be added to absolutely any food, which is true. I love how
1: uh, he was stating his opinions as fact. They are. That's so bold. Blues
2: Brothers, yes. <laughs> the set, what was the sequel of that? Oh, uh, Blues Brothers 2000. N- not good. Yeah. Not good. Hmm. That's, that's That was a bad move by whoever did that. Just leave it alone. It was a good movie. You had police cars on the roof spinning. Everything's great. Steven Spielberg made a cameo in that movie too. Oh, so bad. Um. Then he thanked the hospital and care unit, which provide much more uh, the nursing care for him, but also provided the peaceful and compassionate environment during his transition from this life to the next. So it sounds like he wrote this while he was in the hospital. Hmm. And then it goes on to talk about uh you know where the funeral is, make donations to the favorite charity and tell a few great stories. but this doesn't sound like a guy that was escaping this mortal realm. It
1: sounds like a guy who thoroughly enjoyed his life here on earth and miracle whip with
2: boxes of hamburger helpers he yeah in the beginning so I don't know it's just a a way to, to look at life going out. a lot of people fear the end. this guy seems to just kind of let's try to make it fun for the family and here's a you know a fun thing because this this is the type of thing you read at the funeral yeah and then everyone gets a good laugh as you're trying to remember (laughs) the guy and that's probably the way he wanted to be remembered good for him
1: wow well that's making me rethink what i'm going to put in my obituary do a lot of people write their own
2: obituary or is it usually written for them Well, it depends on the situation at the end. But make sure you're nice. If it's a surprise, probably somebody else writes it for you.
1: Make sure you're kind (laughs) to everyone you know, because we have shared an obituary before where the people that wrote it for him did not have the nicest things to say about it. This guy was a jerk. Do not come to the funeral. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I think they took an ad out in the paper for Mm -hmm. that with that information. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Makes you think about how you treat people and about how you live life. Anyway, when we return, we'll do some uh, empty news here on the Matt Townsend Show. Nicole, if you finished uh, flight... And something happened after you landed. If I
3: finished the flight? Yes. This is
1: a low bar we're setting. Okay. <laughs> so I've successfully gone on an airplane and landed. Yes. And let's just say something happens after you've landed. Would you Would you be more inclined to be just grateful that you made it safely? Or, oh dear, this was not a safe flight and we're just now finding out about it.
3: No, the the standard is you successfully complete the flight. I, I don't need to be grateful every time that completes its thing. I think there needs to be a little bit of a higher bar set.
1: Okay, well, hear this out, or hear me out. All right. An airline has blamed a passenger after the door of a packed plane fell off. <laughs> The Dana Air flight had only just arrived at its destination and was taxiing on the runway when the emergency exit door came away, causing a poof-like explosion. One passenger reported. I, I don't think a, so.
3: This is a cartoon airplane. I would okay. never
1: describe an explosion as poof. <laughs> that I mean, that brings to mind like pillows, you know? Yeah. Uh, maybe, if a uh, pillow factory exploded that 's the sound it would make. Poof. The flight was noisy with vibrations from the floor panel. I noticed the emergency door latch was loose and dangling. This was a, a, one of the passengers when we landed and the plane was taxiing back to the park point, we heard a poof like explosion followed by a surge of breeze and noise. It was terrible. Another passenger told CNN he saw that the door was not properly latched before takeoff. I was one foot away from from the emergency exit door so I could see the handle was popping out, he said. We informed one of the air hostesses who insisted that it was locked, but Dana Air denied the door fell off as a result of a mechanical issue and instead blamed a passenger. Oh, that'll go over well.
3: See the lesson the we learn to, here yeah. is that when they walk up and down and they say, "Hey, are you prepared to be sitting in this emergency exit aisle?" Yeah, say, "No, I am not prepared." Please take me as far away as possible from this door that might just poof
1: open. Please take me off of this flight altogether. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, can you imagine that's going to create a bit of a PR nightmare? Because airlines
3: have never dealt with those before.
1: Well, just with all the stuff that's been going on on airplanes lately, you don't blame the passenger, especially if it's a piece of machinery that's not functioning properly. Passengers always right. I guess. I guess you're right. Anyway, we're going to continue the fun here on The Matt Townsend Show. When we return, BBC News is up next.
6: This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter. At
0: Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt
1: Townsend Show.
2: Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio.
5: BYU Radio.
1: Good morning. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Dr. Matt. We've got Terry South here as well. And, of course, Cole Wissinger I hope you both had a fantastic President's Day. Did you uh, do anything fun? Spend time with your family? Did my taxes? Okay.
2: Shovelled some snow. You did, did taxes, taxes with your family? Well, my wife. Okay. My <laughs> shovelling kid, snow. Kids really not involved in the taxes. Okay. Were the kids involved in the snow shovelling?
1: for about five minutes. Yeah, sounds about right. I shovelled some snow as well. Uh, okay. Anything else that you did that was fun? Got new tires on the front of my car or back of my car? On my car. So you ran errands? Yeah, basically. Okay. (laughs) Well, the reason I ask is because we we did a ton of fun things. We went to a movie. We went shopping. We played in the snow. We played games. We played video games. Jeff only brings it up so he can brag about his weekend. No, 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 no. Oh, (laughs) I played video games. It's
2: just that something that happens
1: is so common, I don't... I bring it up because still, somehow, my daughter managed to find herself being bored as we went to the mall and we were looking for shoes for me.
2: I'm so bored.
1: I know, right? If everything isn't about her, and I'm not not to throw her under the bus or anything, but she can get bored sometimes. Hmm. And one thing we're going to be talking about with our next guest is maybe that's okay for your kid to be bored from time to time. So I'm curious to hear what she has to say about why it's OK for kids to be bored, because I I think she's very much a miniature version of me. I try to do as much of the fun stuff as possible and try to not do as much of the painful, obligatory stuff uh, like that we have to do. every errands. day. errands. Like taxes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I'm so grateful that I married an accountant. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Anyway, yeah, my it wasn't to brag or to say you missed like out. It felt like a brag. No, come on. It
2: felt that way, though.
1: Am I bragging by saying that I sat in the second row of a claymation movie while <sighs> holding my eight-month-old the whole time? That sounds horrible. To be... To be clear, actually, my wife held him for about two-thirds of the movie. But still, the second are row, pretty good right about Yeah, now. you're like <laughs> staring straight
2: up. <laughs>
1: we had a good time. Okay. We had a good time. And I don't think I was bored a minute of the day yesterday. Did your kids enjoy it? Uh, yeah. I think they're there more for the popcorn, right. which is probably true of me most of the time. Anyway, that's what we did. And hopefully you had a great one. And uh, I, one thing I do want to point out, though, I remember this from last year. I try to enjoy President's Day as much as possible because this is the longest stretch mm. that we have to go through in the in the year before we get another holiday. Right. From President's Day to Memorial Day, you got a whole bunch of nothing. So uh, yeah,
3: is there no time off around
1: Easterish? Nope. Yeah, I mean, some European countries will take the entire week of Easter off. Yeah, but not here. Not huh. here. And I, again, I don't well, want to make it sound like I'm complaining.
2: Easter's on the weekend. You don't need a day off.
3: Well, I remember in, uh, in high school, we got time off for Easter. And that's, well, I equate know, holidays with wow. what I was doing in that's high school. That's school. And
2: they call it spring break in
3: some places. Right.
2: Yeah. That's
1: it. My wife is from Reno. And October 31st is Nevada Day. So she would always get Halloween off of school. Nevada. Isn't that awesome? Wow.
3: It's the day they became a state.
1: All right. Yeah, yeah. See,
3: back in, back in the east area of the United States where I'm from, the day we became a state is called the 4th of July.
1: Hmm. So I think we need more huh. holidays like that. I don't think Utah has a day that we take off because it's the day that Utah was established as a state.
2: It was just that day like the pioneers rolled into the state. And they yeah, celebrate a, that. One you got a pioneer
3: year. day going on here. Well, we there's should a, have it when it was
2: obnoxious parade. There's like obnoxious like yeah. pancake. Bake-offs at random places do, around the so valley. So we do get that day off. We should get a day
1: off for when Brigham Young came here and said, "This is the place." That's like a couple days before that. Can you imagine take if all we get a week off?
2: Take the week off Pipe in your week.
1: We, it'd be great if if every time somebody important said something, we got a day off for that.
3: Trump tweets every other
1: hour. This is yeah. the place. This is the place to eat pizza. Mm. That could be another holiday. And on that day, we could go to that pizza joint. Anyway, Terry, what is going on around the
2: rest of the country? Uh, President Trump began, began the weekend believing that something good had just happened to him. An indictment leveled against 13 Russians for interfering with the 2016 election had not accused him or anyone around him of wrongdoing, the New York Times reports. But the president's mood began to darken as it became clear to him that some commentators were portraying the indictment as nothing for him to celebrate. Hmm. And Trump then unleashed what the Washington Post calls a defiant and error-laden tweet storm that was remarkable even by his own combative standards. (laughs) I like the way that was written. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. On CNN's New Day, host uh, Dave Briggs asked Representative Charlie Dent, a representative from uh, Pennsylvania, about this, noting that Trump sent 12 tweets just about this indictment, but none pushing back on Russia, none suggesting how he might punish them or prevent the uh, them interfering in the 2018 elections. Uh, Dent, who is retiring after this term, so convenient, mm. who feels free to talk oh, to yeah, uh, said the Russians are meddling in our election is well known. And I think the president has been very soft on Russia. His rhetoric, uh, he's been very accommodating to Vladimir Putin. It's time for Trump and his team to step up and start fighting fire with fire, said the and outgoing f- Republican. And fury, I might add. That's a book. We're not talking about the book. Okay. How are the sales on that, by the way? Still uh, it's going it's strong? still on, okay. pretty high up there in the New York Times bestseller list. So, All right. So, yeah. uh, Other stories. Russian bots took, uh, these are the automated... Uh, systems that tweet and post to Facebook and uh, fill social media full of all the Stuff that the 13 Russian indictment is accusing mm-hmm. them of. They're continuing. Russian bots took advantage of Americans' division over gun control and Second Amendment within an hour of the shooting at Parkland, Florida last week. The New York Times reports, after initial reports of the attack, hundreds of posts from Twitter accounts linked to, Russians, uh, to Russia ignited rumors that the suspected gunman Nicholas Cruz had Googled Arabic phrases before the attack. The account also jumped on hashtags like, Uh, hashtag Parkland shooting, hashtag AR-15, hashtag NRA, while Hmm. other bots pushed for gun control now and gun for me now. Those are different hashtags. This is pretty typical for them to to hop on breaking news like this, explained New Knowledge's Jonathan Morgan, who works to track disinformation campaigns. The bots focus on anything that is divisive for Americans almost systematically. The bots use similar tactics during the presidential election, pushing... Uh, for support of specific candidates and stoking Islamophobia and debates over immigration. They focus mm-hmm. on
3: anything divisive for Americans.
2: They are really busy, yeah. little bots. There's a lot to be divisible. For. <laughs> busy but, bots, and you just see it just flood the entire. There's and so when you look on there, you think these are actual people talking, but yeah. it's just computers talking back and forth to each other. Are these bots the ones leaving positive reviews on Amazon products? It could be that tricked me into buying them. That was part of the uh, the indictment they put they they brought down against the. Uh, russians that will never actually be indicted because they live in russia they're not here but this is the legal way of presenting information with an indictment right yeah so what they said in there is that they they would jump into chat rooms and they would have discussions with themselves hmm right so you see a newspaper story it's about gun control they go down into the chat room and they'd put up a positive gun control message and then they would attack that same message and then they would attack that, and they just go back and forth, positive, negative, fighting with themselves. And then other people see it, and they're like, wow, there's a lot of comments on this. So they're, they're stoking a fake argument. There's no argument. No one is arguing with each other. It's one person creating both sides of the argument, and that's how they would do it.
1: Maybe that's why we see so many five-star reviews and so many one-star reviews with really nothing in between.
2: Could mm-hmm. be. Could be. They also pointed out that this group <laughs> that the that the indictment came down, they had a uh, a group that was working on search engine optimization mm-hmm. a group working on uh, tracking the amounts of likes on certain posts, and it was set up just like any other marketing company with a social media wing. I interviewed at one of these companies, and I sat down and went, "This seems kind of weird. what do you so you guys are creating." discussion of a topic that no one's talking about mm-hmm. and they went well yeah but we're doing it for a good cause I'm like, <laughs> you're selling tv to people this i mean how is this a good cause it's like why well, can't you just let it happen naturally he goes well it doesn't happen fast enough we need to to seem bigger so that people are more interested like, yeah Hmm. okay and then when it, i mean when you're dealing with like buying a cable tv subscription i don't know what the moral You know, where the moral (laughs) rules are with that. But when it comes to the election of our elections here, that's problematic. But then if it comes out that we do this in other countries, Mm. is that problematic? But we're doing it for a good cause, right? We're doing it for democracy. So this is like the Batman
1: mentality. Yeah. Doing the right things for the wrong. No, doing the wrong things for the right reasons or the other way around. Could be. See, it's confusing, right? Because he didn't he tap phones in The Dark Knight in order to catch the Joker? Yeah, he did. And I think Morgan Freeman resigned
2: as a result of it. He did. He said, I'm done with this.
1: But they caught the Joker. Yeah, Mm -hmm. so does the end justify
2: the means? Yeah. These are the questions we should know.
1: Moving on. I'm surprised you didn't want to talk more about The Dark Knight. I do, but.
2: Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. We have to know our audience, and I don't know if they do. (laughs) Rick Gates, the former Trump campaign aide indicted on money laundering charges in October, has agreed to testify against former campaign chairman Paul Manafort, the L.A. Times reports Rick Gates is going to change his plea to guilty, a source was quoted as saying by the Times, adding that the revised plea will be presented in court within the next few days. Gates and Manafort were the first former Trump aides to be indicted amid special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation, with both pleading not guilty last fall to fraud related charges. The corruption of or the cooperation of Gates. Manafort's longtime business part- partner would be the cherry on top for Mueller's case against Manafort, a source told the Times. But the same source said the former aide likely does not have information to turn the screws on Trump, who has repeatedly de- dismissed the Russia probe as a hoax. Hmm. So now they're trying to the, – people are going to jail. It just depends on who and for how long, and this is part of that process. Okay. And there's you know, 13 Russians indicted that will never actually see a courtroom. Because they're in Russia. But it's still a and hoax. one's an oligarch, and he's rich. Yeah. yeah. Still a hoax, though, right? It's all a hoax. <laughs> uh, finally, we talked before about the Tide Pod Challenge, where brilliant uh, young people were eating laundry detergent pods. There do was have no have defend
3: my generation again? It is yeah. your generation <sighs> doing
2: this. And they were, you know, let's see if you can do this without getting sick. It's laundry detergent. And it's concentrated, so <laughs> it's going to explode, right? You know,
1: in my house growing up... Getting soap in your mouth yeah. meant that there was a punishment. It was a punishment to get your mouth See, washed out. And
2: I thought my mom was insidious. She used liquid hand soap. Oh, yeah. We got some of that. Which is probably dangerous. But, I mean, this is the idea. It goes in and it's – you don't have to like – no process has to happen. It's already in liquid form. It's all over your mouth and it's, it's there for like an hour. And, okay, so I don't say that anymore, at least not around <laughs> my mom. <laughs> so what are the darn kids doing now, Terry? New – New to your YouTube, if you can find it, is the Hot Coil Challenge. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay. So just when you thought these so-called Internet challenges couldn't get any more dangerous, a new online trend is gaining some popularity. The Internet was introduced to the Hot Coil Challenge recently, and it's got many people worried about the human race hmm It's just as it sounds. People are turning on the stove, getting the coils hot, and putting their arm or other limbs on the stove as long as they can. Some are posting these videos to YouTube. See,
1: now, if this were like people cutting themselves, no. we, people would be worried, and you'd be going to a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. You know, they'd be worried that you have severe depression issues. Correct. Are people going to say that about this, or is it, oh, they're I just bored? They're just bored. E- either
2: way, if you do this, you scar yourself. Mm. And you know, have to deal with the fallout of whatever degree burn you end up giving yourself. Are they trying to get out of a test? I'm not sure. Are they
3: just trying to cook in the first place? Because no, no, no. I have a roommate that. <laughs> Could you some help? Is, he tried turning on the stove and tried cooking something. He put oil in. So anyway, it all splattered out, and he Oof. has a ridiculous scar right now on his forearm. Oh, wow. Uh. Um, just from genuinely attempting to cook a thing as a young male that doesn't have a lot of experience with it Yeah. Th- or th- stoves. This
2: is all or people, anything. people seeking likes. People seeking comments, people seeking followers. That's what this is all about. Yeah, it's bad. That's scary. It's what does good. that
1: say about the people that are liking these posts? They're we enablers. Wanna, we want to see more of that. Says. Keep it coming. Maybe this guy likes the way that he his cooked flesh smells. No. Which is a whole other topic of discussion. Very worrisome. Uh, so your friend, your your friend or your roommate, roommate. became a uh, an unwitting participant in this yeah, hot we should have videotaped challenge.
3: him just trying to cook, and it would have gotten similar amounts of likes. Apparently, it's other so people's sad. pain. That's what America's funniest home videos was founded upon. Was that laughing at other people's pain.
1: That is true. Wow, you just blew my mind. I forgot all about America's funniest home videos with Bob Saget on ABC,
3: and now it's on the YouTube whenever you want it.
1: Just similar
3: stupid people doing stupid things. Please
1: promise me you're going to refer to it from now on as the YouTube.
3: Yes, absolutely.
1: Like the OC. Remember when they tried to make that a thing? Mm. And I'm from the OC and nobody from there ever referred to it or does as the OC. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, Terry,
2: anything else you want to talk about? I have a story from Moscow. Okay, today it's a Russia news day. It's here. a Russia mm-hmm. news day. They recently had an incredible snowstorm, as did we. In but a, probably but nothing f- like theirs. Theirs was incredible. In a twenty-four hour period, they got like was it f- nine? Was it how much was it? It was like three to five feet of snow or something. Oh my Just goodness. incredible amount of snow wow. that hit them. So people have been trying to get certain communities to plow the roads. Yeah. Just uh, apparently there's certain areas where they just won't plow your road, which is like my neighborhood. (laughs) It takes them forever to get there.
3: I think it's because you wake up to show up to work at like five in the morning. Well, there's
2: that. Uh, Yesterday I was home. Oh, okay, and it's like, are they going to plow this road or what? Well, but see, th- that, then, yesterday
3: was a federal holiday, and then right? I go out and
2: straight, I, I, I I shovel the the driveway, and then they come by and plow the road, and then I have to go dig out the driveway again because they just buried it
3: before it freezes over, and yeah. you have to like hump over something, and I'm you stuck pull out. behind
2: some fort that the mm-hmm. the plow belt. Sounds well,
1: like you live in a very rural part of Utah. <laughs> Not really. It's pretty some Salt <laughs> Lake City.
2: <laughs> says yeah. uh, Moscow residents say they have found the only way to get the council, the city council, to clear snow is to write the name of opposition leader Alexei... Read that name that's underlined. You went to Russia.
1: Let's see. That would be... um, uh, Wait, this one right here?
2: No, it's underlined up
1: here. Oh, okay. Uh, There was another one underlined. Alexei
2: Navalny. Navalny. So they write the opposition leader. Mm Mm-hmm. So they post on Facebook and Twitter they've received thousands of likes after disgruntled residents took to social media saying that they've tried spray painting Navalny on the city's deep snow out of frustration at the snow slowness in removing them. One said that the, the move prompted immediate reaction, that the council workers removed the graffiti within hours. So you call wow. and call and call, no one will come. You spray the opposition leader's name, put it on Facebook – and they come and remove it like within hours immediately. And this
3: is, when they say graffiti, <laughs> let's remember they're doing this in literal just
2: snow, they're, right? They're not yeah. actually graffitiing no, anything. They just write the name in green paint on the snow. Right. And so you Mr. just get rid of the snow. Mr. Navalny is Russia's best known critic of Vladimir Putin. The state media never mentions him by name.
0: President Interesting. Putin famously <gasps>
2: refused. Uh, Putin famously refused to call Mr. Navalny by his name, usually referring to him as that person. When asked about him, (laughs) you know who? (laughs) Moscow has seen huge snowdrifts pile up this year and has been experiencing some of the heaviest snowfall in decades. A member of a local citizens' group in the cities uh, in in Moscow says that she was inspired by a journalist that uh, residents write Navalny on unwanted snow if they could get municipal workers to remove them. She posted the pictures, and as she said, within an hour or so, it was gone, just (laughs) wiped away. Because, again, that guy's name cannot be spoken and cannot be seen. Wow! In Moscow.
1: See, this is uh, this is another uh, example of how people can stand up, get working, and they can have government—you know—action. Go to
7: work.
2: Right? Yeah. Now, in other places, city workers showed up, took their shovels, and mixed the snow up to break up the paint, and then left. They didn't actually remove the snow; they oh, just messed boy. up the name in the snow, so it can't be read by anybody. Mm. So, to that level, is that. The people that work for Vlad are out there making sure this guy's name is never seen in public. That's crazy. But they're trying to get snow removed. It's like he's Voldemort or Beetlejuice. Although at least with Beetlejuice,
1: you could say his name twice before something bad happens. I don't want to find out what happens. It's a fun movie, though. You should check it out. And uh, something I might do, I might be likely to do on a boring day... But I think it's okay to be bored. Cole, I would love to just be bored for once. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Okay. Well, when we return, we're going to be speaking with Nancy Collier, who's going to be talking to us about maybe it's okay for us or our kids to be bored when we return. This is the Matt Townsend Show. With every new generation comes new challenges. Parents are trying to keep hyper-focused kids busy while limiting technology and media the best they can. But boredom comes knocking so often for kids who want new things to do, and it frightens parents who don't want kids with spare time to make mischief. Nancy Collier, a psychotherapist and author, invites us to consider what boredom actually means and does for a child and parents alike. And she joins us now from New York City. Nancy, welcome to The Matt Townsend Show.
6: Oh, thanks for having me. I am,
1: I'm super, I am super interested to talk to you about this because we've been doing a lot of stories and coverage on the show about kids who are you know they're consuming tide pods and we just had a story about kids that are burning themselves on stoves and posting it on facebook and to me that screams boredom these kids don't actually want to hurt themselves right they're just they're just so bored so it seems like there could be a negative aspect of being bored but i'm hoping that you can uh, shed some light on this topic and and help us help us know why maybe boredom is not such a bad thing
6: Sure. It's funny because boredom in past generations was something that a parent would respond to with, yeah, figure out something to do. But right now with technology the way it is, we've developed a kind of dread, you could say, of boredom. And boredom now means basically any open, unscheduled time, any time where your kid doesn't have something specific to do or to focus on. And, you know, we're getting to the place now where if we don't have something that we know we can do, we come up with these very dreadful solutions because open space, downtime, wandering, daydreaming uh, are less and less part of our consciousness. We see it as a void, I have more parents asking me, you know, what do I do? What do I do when my child is bored? I don't want to give them the device, but um, I can't let them be bored. And absolutely, you can let them be bored. It's actually really good for them. But as you say, it starts with a change in our attitude towards open, unscheduled time
1: yeah so why do you think parents have this fear of letting their children be bored because i think if if parents had the opportunity to be bored once in a while we would jump at the chance i would love to be bored
6: <laughs> right what a privilege right well i think that what's happened and i see it you know from hundreds and hundreds of interviews and research for the power of off but is that we now have become with our devices hyper-focused. People talk about the fact that we're not focused, but really what we are is hyper-focused. That is, our attention is always narrowed down onto learning something or, you know, finding something out or communicating. We're always doing something. And the new god in our culture is productivity, right? May every minute be productive. May you be creating something, learning something, Uh, gathering some data. But what we don't, what we're losing respect for is the power and the importance of, again, downtime, silence, because it's actually in silence. People are, are not really understanding this. It's a kind of misunderstanding, but it's in the downtime, the wandering like a happy dog without a destination, the coming up with activities it's in the open spaces the unfocused spaces that we jump into what's called our default mode network in the brain and that's where believe it or not we come up with our greatest creativity our brilliance the the spontaneity spontaneity where where ideas come that we could never have thought up it's also where our nervous system resets it's where our brain, when it checks out from all the stimuli, when it starts to not have to focus, it reboots, if you will. And these are really necessary experiences for the nervous system. Uh, to get to have. So there's a real importance in downtime. There's a real importance of your child not having something to do besides the fact that we're building his or her capacity to self-engage, right? I mean, that's what frightens me is that I have kids and You know, until I really started working on this topic and, and writing the book, you know, they, I could, I was watching them literally not know how to fill their time if I didn't hand them something to do. Well, that's a skill that we need for life. How to engage ourselves. How to use our imagination. How to come up with an activity. Not just, have something put in our face and passively receive it. So how do we change the attitude is to start to educate, for one thing, educate parents that downtime, the gaps, if you will, between focused moments are as important as the focused moments. The, the, The brain, the nervous system, the consciousness are all learning in those times and developing really important skills I'd say one other thing too which is we've become a generation with all this technology where we're actually afraid of our own company if you will we're afraid of ourselves in a very deep way so you know we're standing on a line or we're I don't know waiting anywhere and we immediately you know grab the device and check our email or you know scroll through Facebook or whatever it is that we do, because we don't really know how to tolerate our own company. And from years and years of talking to people about just this topic, it's very clear to me that there cannot be any sense of well-being if we cannot learn to be with ourselves. So a part of boredom is, oh, right, I'm not in a void. I'm not Without anything, I'm actually with myself, and that's a destination.
1: That's so interesting, too, because, yeah, it seems like uh, a, a lot of us can't even go to the bathroom without having something else to do besides that one task, you know? That's right. Um,
6: so, that's right. It's terrifying, actually, when you really look at what that you know, all that multitasking, which is really code word for distraction, because there is no such Mm. thing as multitasking, as you probably know, our mind can only focus on one thing at a time. So what, what you're really talking about is our inability to stay with something, right, to have deep thinking, to be willing to not understand something and stay with it, we bounce from thing to thing, which is precisely why in all the You know, the platforms online, uh, all the pop-ups are there because it's training our brain, which interestingly is actually designed as a species, we're designed to stay with something. That's how the brain is designed, and that's why all of this multitasking, otherwise known as distraction, bouncing from thing to thing, is creating so much anxiety. We've never seen rates of anxiety and depression like we're seeing right now, and that's because much of the way we're living, right, which technology, we're responsible, it's the way we're using technology, but it's also the way the big technology companies are figuring out to get us hooked, right? But much of the way we're using technology is contrary to our basic biological needs for well-being.
1: Yeah, you know, you, you talked about the issue that a lot of parents have, feeling the need to just fill all of their time with something so that they're not bored. Do we, as parents, do we stunt our children's creativity? When we're doing that, when we're filling their days with planned activities?
6: Absolutely. You know, it's funny, the the birthday parties, I I have one child that's younger and still has these sort of birthday parties. But if you look at them as a sociological um, component, you know, we, from the moment the children arrive, they are scheduled. You know, the time for the drop-off of the presents, and then the balloon blower comes, <laughs> and then there's pizza and ice cream, and then there's the, you know, maybe 10 minutes of arts and crafts. But we are so frightened by the, 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 the concept of, let the children figure out what to do themselves, right? We're so afraid of that. And we've come to believe, really, that it 's bad parenting or we're somehow negligent to not give them something to engage with, give them something to learn from every moment we've we 've stopped trusting life and we 've stopped trusting the basic intelligence of the human being that that for for time immemorial that human being came up with something and Again, as you're pointing out, you know, insightfully, that there is a a tremendous importance to that child being able to generate something, to have an idea, make it happen, but that it's self generated. We are doing them a disservice by filling every moment. Then, God forbid, at some point in their lives, they don't have a day that's scheduled all the way through. They become fearful. You and I are talking about, oh, how lovely that would be. But the younger generations don't see it as lovely. They see that as dropped into the great void. (laughs) So we're doing a great disservice to them, yes.
1: If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Nancy Collier, who is a psychotherapist, and she's the author of the book, The Power of Off, The Mindful Way to Stay Sane in a Virtual World. And Nancy, I want to continue off of that thought that you just shared. So obviously I remember being bored as a kid. I have three kids of my own today and they're often bored. We just talked about on the program how our entire day was full of fun activities and yet the one thing that that wasn't about my daughter, she became bored, right? So how do we help our children understand that it's okay to be bored? It's okay to have some downtime. How do we translate that to them?
6: Well, I think that, one thing as parents that we're also a little bit losing the capacity to offer is that old line that you and I probably grew up with, which is, this is the way it is. Yes. It's hard. And yes, you'll find out something to do. You'll figure it out. Won't you? You know, we've become this, this sort of generation of parents. That's terrified to say to our kids, figure it out. Yes. Is it is it easy? No. Right. We we accommodate and we, we think that anything difficult, anything that, you know, they might have to challenge themselves about is somehow, again, bad parenting. And I think that there's nothing more powerful sometimes than saying to a child, you know, sometimes it's hard when you don't have something initially to do. But if you look around in your cabinet or you go out in the yard or whatever your situation is, I bet you would come up with something to do. And 99 out of 100 times, you'll find that kid in 15 minutes getting fascinated by something. And so we have to, as parents, be willing to tolerate the gap as well where they don't know. And maybe they're a little irritated. And maybe they feel like, how can you do this to me? But that's becoming a kind of mindset, a paradigm we live by That. To ask our children to do anything that challenges them is somehow not okay. I, I give parents permission to let their parents, let their kids be challenged. It's not, it's not about saying to the kids, you know, sorry, you're out of luck here, it's acknowledging, yeah, it's actually kind of hard at first when you don't have an activity, but hang in there. Let's see what you can come up with or let's maybe together look in your thing and what do you want to do with this? And then I'm going to step out of it. So it's acknowledging the challenge and then setting them free to let their natural imaginations have some practice time.
1: Nancy in in the article that you wrote you used an analogy of a fridge. Could you tell us a little bit more about that?
6: In in the fridge oh you have to remind me. I write so much. So in the fridge um analogy going into the fridge? Yes. What was the analogy? Tell yeah. me again.
1: Um yeah, you know, just the article can I can I let my child be bored
6: There is a refrigerator in there. I'm I'm actually blanking on what that would be, which may be a good thing, but I could sure come up with that. You know, if we go in, I'm going to just make it up on, on the cuff here, but if we go into the fridge, right. And we're constantly looking for something to do. Like this is something actually that, you know, I had my younger daughter constantly opening the fridge for something to do. And then I also asked her, you know, are you hungry, right? Are you hungry? Just to stop for a moment. And again, talking about this external versus internal uh, switch, can we look inside ourselves for what's interesting? We're so trained these days to look, what's on Google? What's on Google? You know, even myself, when I go to write an article, something is interesting to me. You know, my my brain these days is starting to look outside. Like, well, let me find some research on it first. Let me, but in fact, we've forgotten that we can know things from our own experience. Again, looking inside. I asked my teenager last weekend what she wanted for dinner. And she said, well, let's go look at, let's go look at photos on Pinterest. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? Like our inclination now is to look outside ourselves for what's interesting, what we want, how to make meaning out of our experiences. And again, this idea of looking inside first as a destination, as a place that we can know things from our experience, we are kind of training ourselves out of that. And again, that for me, you know, is a very dangerous thing just in terms of the psychological development of our children, because Ultimately, it's our relationship with ourselves, our interest in our own experience, our interest in our thoughts and feelings and all of what lives inside us, our knowing ourselves that really creates healthy adults and adults who feel a sense of wholeness, so Starting to introduce that idea to your children when they're looking outside for the answers. You know, my self worth is based on likes or popularity or how many people responded. You know, with an emoji, right? Again, bringing that back to how you feeling about yourself. How do you feel about that conversation you had with that friend? Introducing ourselves in in our conception of self. If that, if you understand what I mean.
1: Yeah. Nancy,
6: really important stuff.
1: Absolutely. And, Nancy, just in closing here, what would you say, what are some skills that we can develop and that children can develop to combat boredom? Or I guess the better question would be to combat this need to <laughs> to not be bored at all times.
6: Right. So a lot of it it depends on the age. But for the younger children, it's really up to us parents to... Introduce this idea of the wonder of downtime. You know, it's the parents' fear of it that the children are responding to. It's the handing the child the device every time there's a gap, as if it's something to be filled immediately. It's parents' abhorrence and belief that they're doing something wrong um, that, that starts the child's Fear of it. So a lot of it has to do with the way you teach your child to relate to uh, downtime as an opportunity to build their creative skills, to generate imagination. That that's where brilliance happens. That's where we get the real answers to questions when we step away from them and take a walk. So our relationship with downtime and what we model for our kids is of most value and then how we talk about it and our willingness to be a little bit fierce about it. That's right. You have to come up with something to do. I know John and Jane and Billy and Barbara, all their parents, they they let them have the device in between activities, but I'm not that parent, right? So I encourage parents to be the light in the darkness, to be the sanity in the insanity. Step up and and stand for something that ultimately is going to serve your child throughout their life, perhaps more than anything.
1: Well, Nancy, that's great advice, and we we really appreciate your time here on The Matt Townsend Show. Her name is Nancy Collier. She's a psychotherapist and author of The Power of Off, The Mindful Way to Stay Sane in a Virtual World. And she's been letting us know that, you know, it's okay to be bored from time to time. Let's just be bored, right? I plan on being bored uh, later today, hopefully, if all pans out. When we return, we'll continue the fun here on the Matt Townsend Show. Well, we can all be bored from time to time, and we just finished speaking with Nancy Collier, who told us that that could actually be a good thing. And sometimes when we're bored, we tend to make life a little less pleasant for other people close to us. And what I mean by that is... You know, we just the other night, we heard some people outside making a lot of noise to the point where, you know, we have to do a double take. And say, Is somebody all right? Is somebody being hurt? But it's just kids out having a good time. Cole, how would you handle a nosy – I'm sorry, a noisy neighbor? That's um, a different question, a nosy neighbor.
3: I'm a, I'm personally a very non-confrontational kind of person. Okay. Um, I would ignore it to the point where I could – didn't anymore.
1: At what point would it just become unbearable? You couldn't ignore it anymore.
3: Um early in the morning when Okay. I'm, when on mornings where I'm not here at the Matt Townsend show, I enjoy sleeping in. And so if a noisy neighbor was keeping me awake or waking me up too early, then I would just be sad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you were, I'm
3: non-confrontational. I could not bring it up. I could not go and say, yeah. hey, please be quiet. I think I don't I'm, have it in me.
1: I'm like you. I mean, I lived in an apartment complex once where there were people up till 2 in the morning, and it was all in a big circle. So ev- all the noise was just echoing. You could mm-hmm. just hear the noise. It was amplified. And you would think since nobody knew where the no- – we didn't know where that noise was coming from – you would think I'd feel safe in knowing that I could yell out the window, "Stop doing that," or "Go to sleep," because then they wouldn't know. They where would that know came where I from. was. Yeah, so mm-hmm. there would never. Plus, I mean, you'd have to do the math and try to figure out where that apartment was, even if you knew where it was coming from. Anyway, there there are appropriate ways to handle situations like this, and maybe the passive aggressive way or the the do nothing approach is not the best, but. I would venture to say that this approach is also not the best. Yes. So there's this this elderly California woman who was arrested Friday night after she allegedly shot a gun (laughs) toward her neighbor's children because they were being noisy. Slightly worse (sighs) than not doing anything. See, that's the type of thing that maybe people would think about doing but would never, ever do for obvious reasons. And she did it. Betty Frances Sanders, 84, fired a handgun in the direction of three children, ages eight to ten, as they were riding on their motorcycles at their home in Anderson, California. Which brings up another question:
3: Eight to ten-year-olds on motorcycles? What is, is that... an
1: eight to ten-year-old doing driving a motorcycle? Well, I'm picturing
3: those little, like a Barbie Jeep-looking things. What, what the only kinds of girls version?
1: At max two and a half miles per hour,
3: and make a slight whirring noise is the
1: <laughs> wow. This this story brings up all sorts of questions. I like it. Keep going. so the family was in the front yard of their property when Sanders and her husband approached the fence separating their two yards. Uh, so they were next door neighbors. Excellent. Sanders allegedly complained about the children being too loud, which escalated into an argument. The woman then shot her handgun. Which another question is, do you know any 84-year-old women with a handgun? And did she just have it on her at the time? Like, did
3: she go into this argument prepared already with the handgun? Or did she say, excuse me, could we pause this argument for just a moment? I need to go fetch (laughs) my handgun.
1: So she shot her handgun toward the family who were roughly 20 feet away, according to deputies. No one was injured in the incident. Wow. I can't believe that. (laughs) I mean, on my worst day, I don't think I would – I'd have to go out and buy a handgun, first of all. all. Yeah, Yeah. I don't even own a handgun. I would never pull it out to tell somebody that they're being too noisy. I would be the type of person that would just call the cops without first approaching them. But I, I would more than likely do nothing because I have it in my mind like, you know, they deserve a talking to before I call the police. But I'm not going to do that. So nothing gets done. Just I like think you said, I would Cole. be
3: the kind of person that gets the handgun fired at them because there's two kinds of people in this world. There's yeah. the kind that have the handgun ready to shoot and there's <laughs> the kind that get the shot at.
1: And I think if, if Dr. Matt were here, he would tell us what that says about you and I, Cole, the fact that we would just rather do nothing yep. than resort to some of these more extreme measures. And I'm sure he could tell us what it means about this 84-year-old woman and some of the issues that she has. Anyway, when we return, we'll come back with some more empty news. But uh, hopefully, in the meantime, if you've got a noisy dog in the neighborhood or a noisy kid, don't get your handgun out. There are better ways of approaching the situation. We'll be right back. We've been talking boredom. We've been talking guns here on the Matt Townsend Show. We just shared a story of a woman who uh, pulled out her handgun when her young neighborhood kids were making too much noise. But uh, here's here's something that kind of combines the the boredom and the guns. The test of the Vietnam... Not a
3: good combination. No, you're yeah. right,
1: right, ever. The test of the Vietnam-era flak jacket went well. The three buddies fired a .22 caliber, uh, twenty-two caliber pistol at it, and it stopped the bullets. The three, all in their late teens, mm-hmm, sensing a pattern here, had gathered Saturday at a cabin owned by one of their parents in northwest Pennsylvania. Cole, that's <laughs> pretty close to you. <laughs> one of three had purchased the flak jacket designed to stop shrapnel from landmines and grenades, and at a second-hand store, County Sheriff Terry Wagner said... After the – we've had a lot of Terrys on the show today. Interesting. After the successful test, one 19-year-old decided he would don the vest and have his friend, also 19, shoot at it. Yep, that's normal. To absorb some of the shock, Wagner said, they put a pillow between the young man's body and the flak (laughs) jacket. The problem, the sheriff said, is that the friend missed and shot his buddy in the buttocks. (laughs) Wow.
3: No. The, so when they were shooting just at the jacket, I assume mm-hmm. just laying on the ground or in a chair or something, they were able to accurately hit the jacket. Yeah. But as soon as someone puts it on, they miss it entirely and just shoot each other in areas not protected by
1: I love this, the jacket. I love this idea that, oh, if we put a pillow there, it's not going to hurt as much. Yes. Or the people that, that put a gun up to a pillow this will be my homemade silencer i don't know if it works that way
3: Am i've I, never tried I because I,
1: again i don't just have smart- a gun well and you're smarter than that too yes so they were confident that the vest would stop the bullet wagner said but you gotta hit the vest the 19-year-old who was injured was taken to the hospital where sheriff's deputies were called about 2.45 p.m. Saturday. Wagner said officials still are reviewing the case to determine what, if any, charges will be filed. Oh, boy. Boredom is okay, people.
3: You don't have to resort to to entertaining yourself with firearms and, and war-era memorabilia.
1: It'd be so much safer— And the hospital bill would be less if you just sat in a corner and stared at paint dry. In fact, we should all try that today. Yeah. Please come over to my house and paint it, and I will sit down and watch it, because I'm not going to paint it. Ever. When we return, we'll continue the fun here on the Matt Townsend Show. BBC News is up next.
5: This is The Matt Townsend
3: Show.
0: Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt show. Call the show at 1 855 Chat BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio.
1: Good morning. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. This is Jeff Simpson filling in for Matt Townsend. I'm here with Terry South and Cole Wissinger, of course. I'm super excited about the guest that's coming up on the show here in just a bit because I have a lot of questions about how he got on this game show, how his family won so many times. And uh, it's funny because when I was younger, I thought you had to have the exact number of people uh, so, like, let's say there was a game like Family Feud or Double Dare where you had to have four people on the show. I thought, well, I can't be on it because I've got more than four people in my family.
3: And I thought that I could never be on it because I had less. I was always doing the math in my head, like, which aunt or random cousin I would bring <laughs> with me
1: to the Family Feud. What what game show, if you could be on any game show in the world, Terry and Cole, which one would you choose to be on?
2: S- Hmm. I don't know. Which one? I mean, the price is right. It looks fun.
1: Oh, yeah. See, I'm trying
3: to think the one that I would actually have the most chance to win at. And so, like, press your luck or something that's just entirely random. Is that yeah. the one where you Doesn't press the button? And say, no way, me, no way, me, no way, me,
2: stop? Yes. See, that, that's, yes. We, Cole and I were talking about this before. It's like many of these shows, there's no way really to. What well, wasn't Cole? It was somebody else. But what, I, what, you can't prepare, right? They have a random questions about random th- there's no way to sit there and like try to cram for the sure. to get better you just have to have a, a knowledge of all sorts of things or in the case of like a pressure look it's just completely random oh yeah if you can yeah. win or not and i've never i guess that's kind of why it's kind of not ever been something i've been greatly attracted to because there's like there's no way to win it seems like it's just, yeah. it's, it's just if it happens you do If oh, not
3: i am greatly attracted to game shoes. there was a whole game show channel on cable, the game show network my mom but there loves was it. also a separate one for kids game shows what? via nickelodeon oh, like well. all those goofy like finders keepers and oh, pixel perfect there double dare all the time double dare and then double dare 2000 when that came out they They were all on another channel, and those are that was what my childhood was
1: filled with. Wow, was game shows. The Match of the Hidden Temple,
3: Legends of the Legends of the Where in the
1: World is Carmen Sandiego? Mm -hmm. See, I always thought Jeopardy would have been the worst one to be on because you have to put forth so much more effort than any other game show, and the the ROI or the the payout is not as big as some of these others. I
3: would just be sure to be the guy on Jeopardy that was slightly behind everyone else, but clearly clicking my buzzer to make it look
1: uh, like I knew the answers. I was uh, just a little too slow. Sure, but you know Wheel of Fortune. You don't have to be all that bright, not to say anything against Wheel of Fortune contestants. You but you just did. You spin a wheel, yeah, and you call out letters and you buy vowels. And as long as you can recognize words with a few letters missing, you're golden. R S T.
3: Make sure you get those letters out of the way
1: early. Yeah. You're good. Whereas Jeopardy, those people are, you know, they're giving all their blood, sweat, and tears to those answers and they could walk home with like a thousand dollars.
3: Presented to you by Advil.
1: Mm. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Cole. Every time I watch wow. a lot of Jeopardy. Wow. A lot. Okay. So when he comes on the show, we're going to ask him how he got on the show. What his experience was like, I'm curious to know what Steve Harvey was like as well, because he Mm. was on Family Feud. Uh, Terry, what else is going on around the rest of the country?
2: This just came down. The Supreme Court has rejected two appeals from gun rights groups in California. Despite repeated calls for it to do so, the high court has not taken up a Second Amendment case since 2010. They seem not to want to decide. Yeah, They want to... uh, it's it's a hot button issue and yep. they don't want to be any they don't want to just definitively make a law on rule on one case that sets precedent across the entire issue. Yeah. Oof. The case was a challenge to California's ten day waiting period after a gun purchase. Mm-hmm. So they just let that sit with the lower courts and they'll wait for something another case to come up that See, have to deal with
1: 10 days i mean usually if you feel like you need a gun there's planning involved we're going on a hunting trip that mm. you would likely know about more than 10 days in advance so if it's happening in less than yeah. 10 days something's not right there yeah. maybe who I'm knows just giving
2: one scenario president trump reportedly sought advice on gun control from his mar-a-lago guests in the wake of wednesday's deadly shooting in florida Uh, Sources cited the Washington Post said that the president obviously monitored or obsessively monitored media coverage of the Florida shooting as he surveyed friends staying at the lavish resorts uh, on whether he should take action on gun control. One guy Hmm. was reportedly there was a person there at Mar-a-Lago that said they should put drones above high schools because they can monitor uh, people. Yeah, it's one idea. Yeah. So meanwhile, he has reportedly declined an invitation to attend a town hall on Wednesday in Florida, featuring victims and survivors, some of whom publicly shamed him over the weekend for accepting NRA campaign contributions. Students turned activists from Douglas High School have made it clear they want tighter gun control laws, and they say that a counter event at the White House being called a listening session with students this week is just a way for Trump to avoid speaking with them directly. Okay, but think about it this
1: other way. Is that a win for anybody involved if, if he does accept that invitation? Because it seems like people just want to blow off steam, hmm. and it seems like he might, yeah, you know, how, how, does, how does anybody come out on top of
2: that? I don't know if that's the point. No, I... But that's how it's being looked <sighs> at. How do we win this? And you're not supposed to win it, no, have but... the discussion. <laughs> right, but I'm
1: wondering if the if the motives are are right. If they actually are are hoping that something
2: will come of it, or if they just want to blow off steam. No, they're hoping. Yeah. From what they say, they're hoping something comes of it. And if they're going to have a listening session, but and there's no word on who's actually in the listening session at the White House. Is it going to be kids from Florida? Is it just going to mm. be random kids from? Around the nation, I mean, who with are we talking to? questions that have been screened ahead of time. Yeah, and, I mean, what are we? Yeah. What are we? Is this a photo op again, or are you going to do something? And that's really the question. And he's avoiding talking with them, so it makes it look like he's avoiding the situation. But mm. your point's, you know, there too. It doesn't really help him to go sit there and get yelled at. Yeah, but he is elected by the people, so he's paid to do it. Uh, apparently, I don't know. I don't know how all this works anymore. Yeah. Special Counsel Robert Mueller's investigation has reportedly been looking into Jared Kushner's efforts to secure foreign funding during the presidential transition, according to CNN. That's an indication uh, that Mueller is investigating Kushner's ties beyond Russia to securing funding for his uh, 666 Park Avenue real estate venture. Dun, Ooh, I don't
1: like those numbers. Yeah, I know,
2: including uh, he went to. Countries like China and Qatar, according to a CNN source, the investigation has not yet contacted Kushner's companies or interviewed anyone at the company. Kushner divested from the Park Avenue project early 2017. He had bought property in 2007 for $1.8 billion and had been struggling to shoulder the debt of the building in subsequent years. And so he's trying to get coverage for his debt. And you have to go to foreign groups to do that and he was happened to be doing that during apparently during the transition at that point he was divested so he wasn't divested he was still doing things Hmm. for his company and yeah so just more (laughs) stuff uh a little bit of panic across europe over the weekend the chicken uh, it says the chicken has crossed the road just not to our restaurants this is how kfc uk Explained a shortage. Are you going to tell us no why chicken. the
1: chicken crossed the road?
2: No. Okay. Just they didn't have any chicken to sell at the restaurants in the UK. USA Today reports about 900 of the chain's roughly 21,000 locations are in the UK, and only 300 of them were open Monday due to a chicken supply issue. Per the tweet, the hiccup is on the delivery end, with the chain explaining it had brought a, a new delivery partner on board, but they've had a couple of teething problems. What that means? KFC <laughs> didn't name the delivery partner, but CNBC reports it's uh, DHL. They're the big yellow yeah. vans that drive around, which released a statement that cited operational issues. The BBC mm. reports that uh, they handled uh, delivery up. Uh, another company handled delivery up until last Tuesday, and then they handed off to the new company who then failed to deliver the chicken. And when when it <sighs> really comes down to it, you have to deliver the chicken to sell the chicken. And KFC addicts in the U.S. can breathe a sigh of relief. The issue is only in the U.K. Oh, thank goodness. I need my fried chicken. We have plenty of chicken on this side of the pond.
1: By the way, in case anybody's curious, I know why the chicken crossed the playground.
2: Why, Jeff? Caution. Dad joke. Go ahead. To get to the other slide. There you go. Huh?
1: Huh?
2: Hmm. Just wanted to get that out there, make sure everyone was prepared. (laughs) For the horrible dad joke. Hey, I actually made that up when I was a kid. Yeah, I read it in four books as a kid, too. No, 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 but I never read those books. It's okay. Not original, but nice try.
1: Ooh, now original. Now you got me thinking about the original recipe at KFC. There you go.
2: Finally, a uh, a baseball thing. Maybe something Mm -hmm. to share with Sports Nation. I'm listening. Major League Baseball imposed stricter limits on mound visits by players in an effort to speed games, but decided against the 20-second pitch clocks for 2018. Okay. They wanted to put a 20-second pitch clock on every major league pitcher as they're standing on the mound. Between pitches, you have to throw the ball in 20 seconds. Right. I'd be open to that. Uh, This is out of the Associated Press. The amendments to the playing rules include a general limit of six mound visits per nine-inning game without a (laughs) pitching change. Okay. The number of visits by catchers during games has increased in recent years contributing to the average time of a nine-game in a nine-inning game stretching to a record 3 hours and 5 minutes last season. Mm. Up from 246 in 2005.
1: See, this is important because, you know, you have coaches that are going out there not because they're saying things like, "All right, this time I want you to get this guy out." Right. They're going out there to stall so that their pitcher that's coming in relief can it's have like in, time to
2: warm up. It's like in Bull Durham. They're deciding who gets the wedding gifts or whatever that. You remember, they went out there and like discussing like recipes, <laughs> <That's and> funny, <laughs> random things. They're not even talking about the game. They're just wasting everyone's time. Yeah. Just getting a rest. Uh, it says under the new rule, each team would get an additional mound visit without a pitching change for each extra inning. Wow. Trips will not count against the limit following an offensive substitution to check on potential injuries or to clean spikes on wet fields maybe they get an extra one for good behavior too so in other words they're they're working to make the games shorter yeah but they're putting enough caveats in there that it's going to stay the same length oh sure people will find a reason to go out to the mound
1: well because then you've got and you've also got the the replays that you can request and those take a lot of time doesn't really speed up a slow game nope nope it's going to remain slow. I'm telling you, they should try one season, just one season, where the, the entire game has a clock that never stops. It's just a, a constantly running clock of, let's say, two hours. Hmm.
3: What, what could go wrong with that? And at the end of two hours, what happens? Yeah, what Jeff? happens? The with, game
2: is over. So Whoever so is ahead a, a wins. Two hour limit. Yeah. So you're not doing nine innings anymore, you're yeah. doing two hours. Yeah.
1: And if the game's not over after two hours, then maybe we do what, what Matt loves to talk about on this show. You re- release the, the gators. The, the gators. the yeah. Gator Ball. Yeah. Send out the animals to speed things up. That yeah. would motivate me to be done with that game or to fake an injury so I wouldn't have to play in that game. <laughs> oh. You know, speaking of faking injuries, I, mm. I mentioned we saw – during the break, I mentioned that I took my family yesterday yesterday to see the film Early Man. Yes. And it's about – Cavemen. Cavemen. Being replaced and, by the Bronze Age. And the That's introduction a, of – Soccer. Football. Right. American soccer. Um, and the funny – one of the funniest bits is when a player uh, gets – he doesn't get injured, but he feigns injury. Yeah, he fakes And one. he is so overdramatic. That got one of the bigger laughs from the movie.
3: Because that's one of the only jokes that Americans understand. No, we understand right. that,
1: Everything that in else, soccer, you
2: fake injuries. They brought <laughs> in these two
1: soccer or football commentators, and nobody really laughed at anything that they had to say. And Was they, it too English? No. Well, yes. Okay. Yes. And it's it's not like they didn't try to make it known that we're telling a joke. Because they kept saying things like, you see what I did there? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Wasn't that funny? And yet we still didn't laugh because we couldn't understand what they were saying. Ah, So we need an early
3: man where they play football football and – Al Michaels and John Madden types are commenting about it. And then we can laugh at that.
1: I'm actually a little surprised that they didn't do an alternate version of the audio where they had the actors say soccer instead of football. You would think that they would have done that.
5: Hmm.
3: Hmm. An American translation of an English movie. (laughs) Exactly.
1: It happens all the time. You see it on shows where they replace things with other jokes so that the American audience will get it. Anyway, so, okay, what do you think then is the answer for baseball and getting, condensing the game?
2: I don't know, other than if you – it's a slow game to begin with, right? Yeah. And it's not a time limit. It's a you need to get this many outs. Yeah. Which just either leads it to be super fast if you have a pitcher that's worked that's effective, or if it's a, if it's a competitive game, it's going to be a little longer. How about cutting an inning or two? then you're changing this game that's been this way for how long? And people don't want to mess with history. So what's an argument that's actually going to work? I don't know. I don't know how mm-hmm. you you speed the game up because that's really the biggest complaint, especially now is people don't want to watch something that lasts three and a half hours.
1: Well, I think, I think starting with the pitching is a good way to do it because you, so many times you, a lot of the boos that come in a game come from – the pitcher's taking way too much time, or all the visits mm. to the mound. That only happens if you're the opposing team. If you're the home team, they they don't treat you like that.
2: But, right. Hmm. So I don't know. I I think it's a uh, a an argument that will go on for. Years and years, and I don't think it'll be fixed because by fixing it, you're going to change the game, and so many people don't want you to mess with the the structure of what that game is. It's interesting because what you're
1: saying sounds pretty much exactly what's going on with the gun control yeah, issues, yeah, right? Pretty now. much, yeah. It's all kind of in the same. Things may area. not change, and yet, you know, things are going to continue on this way. Who
2: knows? Well, we mentioned you mentioned injuries in your yes. the movie. Yes, people, there are injuries happening at Apple's new headquarters. Really? If you see the, the design of this building, it looks like a huge spaceship. Okay. Right? It's big. It's silver. <laughs> it's glass. It looks like you know your phone. It's like it's, it's machine metal and then you have glass pieces and there's no edges and that's kind of how the whole building is. Yeah. Okay. Well, so their design choices have come under fire quite a few times in recent years. Plenty of people vocally disappointed. Uh, like the MacBook. They put mm-hmm. out a new MacBook and they took away some of the ports. So you mm-hmm. can't plug in all the things you used to be able to plug in. Yeah, there's like one port. Where if you get any sort of like a a, a PC sort of Windows based laptop, there's like seven ports or something mm-hmm. on them. So it's crazy. You get uh, what the new iPhone 10 has this notch in the screen, and people are like, "Why is there this whole this things like cut out of the top of the screen and yeah. it takes away." Um so people don't necessarily like that. People are still mad about the removal of the headphone jack from phones, right? Oh, yeah. So these are design yep. choices. When you get to their building and there's these discussions, their employees are running into the building's glass panels. <laughs> like birds. The, <laughs> it, there's always glass they talked about the glass thing the millions of dollars they spend on this glass for the whole building and people are just walking into these walls because they're so clean and clear mm. they think the door is open and they just smack into the wall wow okay
1: <laughs> so it sounds like they need to leave things a little dirty around there
2: so yeah there uh, people are running into the windows at the new headquarters for apple have you ever done that run into a a closed glass doors I believe of some kind. I have once before but
1: the real question is do they keep doing it over and over and over again if if they
2: are then there's a bigger issue yeah but i, I imagine not yeah wow so, yeah okay watch your design choices you might might make it dangerous for your employees look before you step especially at the apple
1: headquarters Anyway, when we return, we are going to visit a topic that we presented earlier dealing with game shows, and we've got a big game show winner here coming up next on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the the game show Family Feud has been on the air since 1976, and becoming a contestant on Family Feud or any other game show is highly competitive. And we are lucky enough today to have with us Zach Erickson, who uh, appeared with his family on Family Feud back in September. Zach Erickson is the athletic director and head football coach at Skyline High School and uh, not only were they on the show, but they won big. Zach, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
5: Hey, thanks for having me, guys.
1: I am super excited to talk to you about this because I think there is a lack of understanding among common audience uh, viewers of, of shows like Family Feud and and uh, The Price is Right. Because as a kid, when I watched... One of my favorite game shows, which was Double Dare, I thought, oh, I, I all I can do is enjoy this on TV because I could never be on the show <laughs> because I have six siblings and, you know, there are only four people on the TV. So tell us a little bit about the process of how your family was selected and what the, what the clue is to be selected on this show.
5: Yeah, so uh, my sister actually... Uh, send out a group text to all of us and said, hey, Family Feud's holding open casting calls in Salt Lake. We should go audition. And uh, we all kind of like, oh, yeah, let's do it. And then we didn't ever really do anything um, until uh, my sister called us all back and said, hey, I sent in our video, and we have an audition set up at this time. And so we're like, oh, okay, great. Um, so we went up to the Southtown Expo Center where they had their open casting call. And, uh, I'm estimating that there were probably about, uh, five to 6,000 people that they invited to come audition there. Um, and what they did is they just had you play a mock game, uh, with some of the producers and, uh, they told you, Hey, we'll be in touch and basically sent you out of the room. What you didn't know is that if that producer liked you, as you walked out of the room, they handed you a piece of paper that said, hey, go to this other room for a second audition. Wow. Uh, and so so we got that note, we walked into the other audition room, and, and there we met with another producer uh, where that was more of like an audition. It was, tell us about yourself, uh, why should you be on Family Feud, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, from there, they said, "Well, we'll let you know in about six weeks if we want you to be on the show." And about seven weeks later, we got a phone call said, "Hey, we'd like to fly your family out to Atlanta for filming." And uh, that was the rest of history. So,
1: it's crazy how many hoops you have to jump through before you're ultimately on the show doing the taping.
5: Yeah, we. So, aside from that, once once we actually got to Atlanta. Uh, you actually have to audition again wow. for the executive producer. So they actually they fly you there, they put you up in the hotel, and then you actually have to audition on the actual set. Um, and, and what you do is you play a mock game again with another family. And so uh, our first day in Atlanta, we actually did not get selected to be on the show. And we thought, oh, my gosh, we're going to be out here. We're not even going to make it onto the show. Um, but luckily, our second day there, we got selected and uh, actually had to stay an extra day because we won all four games on that second day and had to come back the next day uh, for our fifth game. So,
1: But it sounds like it was worth it. How much did you guys win on Family Feud?
5: Oh, it was absolutely worth it. Um, I think we came away with about $30,000 total uh, between all of us, and so we had to split that up five ways, and uh, it, it made for a nice Christmas because the checks showed up I September bet. <laughs> <laughs> that is
1: awesome. Now, is there any way that you can it seems like maybe for some shows like Jeopardy or or uh shows that are based more on trivia questions that you know that take years of study and absorbing all this information, how how do you prepare for a show like Family Feud?
5: So, what we did was we really tried to just Prepare ourselves for the fast money segment of the game. Um, Because, like you said, the rest, it's kind of a crapshoot. I mean, you don't know what questions are going to come, and you don't know what kind of answers people are going to give. And so, what we did was we just played a lot of uh, mock fast money situations. And by doing that, we kind of figured out that myself and my mom were kind of the best fast money players. Um, and then you know my sister Nikki, she was kind of right there, and we actually even thought about replacing myself with her in the last two fast monies, but we she was like, "No, you're doing good, keep going." And so that was really all we all we could do was prepare for giving those answers quickly, and and who could think on their toes quickly to be able to give those answers in fast ways. So that was really all we did for the weeks leading up was we you know we're at Sunday dinner and. After we ate, we all got in the living room and went fast money for a couple of hours and and uh it kind of paid off
1: that 's so cool and you know and it 's so interesting to have your perspective on this because I think as viewers, we can sometimes be rather harsh where we sit at home and think oh you 're an idiot. How did you get that wrong?" But what can you tell us about now that you have seen it from that side of the coin what can you what would you tell viewers about? The pressure and uh, trying to keep a cool head in that uh, that situation. What what could you tell audience members so that they could be a little more uh, kind when they're watching these
5: shows? (laughs) I that that's a good way to put it uh, to be a little more kind because you do. I think our family not so much. I think I think we all handled it as well as as a family could. Obviously, you know, by winning the five games and. So we handled it well. But you actually see families that do get up there, and whether it's the lights and the loud music or the live audience or just Steve Harvey, uh, people get in that situation, and they completely freeze. And, and they say some things that are – even myself, I I have some really poor answers <laughs> um, <laughs> that, you know, because you only have so much time and, um, you know, it, it, it's a totally different experience being on set with Steve, the lights. The music is so loud. They, they need you to be over the top. And, and so sometimes your brain literally just shuts off. And you think you're saying something that is awesome. And 30 seconds after you say it, you're like, I cannot believe I said that. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Uh, it's a lot easier on your couch. I'll put it that way. It's much easier playing a game on your couch.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like social media. You know, it's easy to criticize somebody when you've got that shield of anonymity. But uh, when you're there under those lights, it's it's a totally different ballgame, so to speak.
5: Absolutely. I, I saw something on social media just at the beginning of the Olympics that said something similar to that, saying, I wish that some average Joe could go attempt whatever these people are about to do so all of us sitting on our couch that say oh i could do that would realize that you really couldn't it's a lot harder than you think
1: you know i think you've just given us a great idea for a show i would tune in to watch the average joe olympics Yes, that would be fun that would be fun so I'm curious. You mentioned Steve Harvey. What was he like? I mean, did that did that only add to the pressure performing in front of this this huge celebrity?
5: You know, Steve is Steve is great. He does everything he can to make you feel comfortable. Um, he he's very easy to talk to. You know, being a stand up comedy by trade, he's very comfortable just going with whatever happens. And so he does a great job of making sure that the contestants on his show, uh, while he may uh, encourage a punchline here or there, he, he does a good job of trying to make you feel comfortable. Um, and, and one thing that a lot of people don't get to see because um, you know, it, it's not captured in the show is you know, in between segments of the show, Steve will do a couple of things. He'll either interact with us as contestants or he'll go work on some of his stand up stuff with the live studio audience, or he'll just kinda go on kind of a rant, which uh he did multiple times while we were there. Um and for for us, being, you know, members of the of LDS faith, it was really interesting to listen to Steve talk about his Christian faith. He he didn't hold back. He he went off on how our society is lacking in their their faith in god and this and that and how his faith has led him to where he is and that was really encouraging um to to hear him address uh his christian faith in kind of the the political climate that we're in it was really it was really encouraging and really refreshing to hear um his faith story of um, even though it was laced with profanity, yeah. it was still it was still encouraging. Um, and so Steve was great. It was fun to be around him. He made all of us feel comfortable, um, and, and he's he's a great, great dude.
1: If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Zach Erickson, who was a big winner on the game show Family Feud, and I'm curious to know, Zach, now that you've experienced it as uh, you've you've seen it on TV, but you've also Competed on TV this game, Family Feud. How? What is your experience now? Going back and watching the show again, how has it changed? Oh, I can't.
5: I can't even watch it like for for entertainment anymore because there's so many things that you know now, having been on the set. And so, like for instance, and this may ruin it for some of the viewers if they watch Family Feud. But when when you give an answer, Steve has no idea that answer is on the board. So you'll see Steve look back at the executive producer who's sitting in the very front row of the audience, and she'll nod her head yes or no. And so sometimes if you watch contestants, like we figured that out fairly quickly on in the show. So we give an answer, and then you catch up. We're not even looking at Steve. We look right at the executive producer to see if she nods yes or no. Um, And so things like that to where I can't even know. I'm watching and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, you know, Steve is stalling so this person can come up with an answer or nope, that's not the right answer. And all of these things that you now know because you've been on set, you see how it works. Um, I I really can't just sit back and enjoy it anymore because I'm too busy looking for the things that, that I know are there
1: behind the scenes. So you're telling us this reality game show isn't based 100% on reality? They would never do that to us as yeah, exactly, viewers, right? Exactly.
3: exactly.
1: <laughs> wow, it sounds like you you had an amazing experience. I'm curious to know, would you so you mentioned maybe you, you you can't probably can't watch Family Feud ever the same way again. Are there any other shows, game shows that you guys would be interested in
5: auditioning for? Oh, you know what? That's I don't know. Um, we haven't really talked about it. Um, you know, I have I have very talented family members. Um, I'm probably the least bit talented, uh, but I could definitely, you know, my my sisters. One of them owns her own catering company, and I know she would love to probably do something on the Food Network game show, or something. And then Nikki, my other sister, uh, has toyed with the idea of auditioning for like American Idol or The Voice because she's quite the musician. Uh so, so kind of having this experience and maybe the success that we had, I could maybe see my sisters maybe
6: pursuing
5: some other shows. But for me, you know, unless they have some type of uh coaching football or you know <laughs> I, I joke that I could that I could do well on, you know, American Ninja Warrior, but I've actually been to a couple of those courses, and I'm actually terrible at those things. (laughs) Um, So I think I'm probably done, uh, but somebody else in my family, I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, show up again sometime, somewhere.
1: What's a type of game show that would absolutely terrify you to be on?
5: Uh, You know, I used to watch Fear Factor. Mm. and There are some things. I really don't do snakes, and I really don't do spiders. And I remember that there used to be some things on there that had to deal with those things, and that terrifies me. I mean, I you know I could do I could jump out of an airplane. I could just, that stuff doesn't really bother me. But you put a snake or a large spider involved in something that I have to do, count me out. I don't think I could do that.
1: Yeah, it seems like you know you use the example of your sister being on a, a baking or a cooking show see that it seems like that would terrify me because if that was my profession, and let's say I was the first person to be booted off it would be it'd be tough to for me to turn around and say, "Okay, now hire me, I know i didn 't win, but hire me to do this job, you know that would be a yeah. lot of pressure,
5: yeah, that would be I could definitely see that
1: so I, I just in closing here zach i'm I'm hoping that you can give us some tips because based on your experience. It sounds like you don't just you sign up to be on the show and they choose you at random. It sounds like there are a lot of hoops you got to jump through. What are some tips that you could give the average joe who's looking for an opportunity, who's willing to make the trip to Atlanta or LA, wherever the show is filmed and be on the show, but what are some tips that you could that you could help us have to figure out how to get on the show like you guys did
5: yeah so i think the biggest thing that they look for when casting families is is you've got to have extremely high energy but you can't you can't be over the top right we in our auditions we had people doing the most outlandish things you've ever seen to try to bring attention to themselves and don't think that's what they're looking for i think they're looking for people that are that are uh loud and confident and excited and that that work well together as a family and that can bring a lot of energy to the show but that aren't completely over the top right so yeah it, you know in in the process of, I mean, they let you audition six people um and, and they only choose the five when your family selected and and we all love our dad to death, but our dad's kind of quiet, and so he was kind of the one who uh, was was quiet. And they kind of realized that. But, hey, we like the other five of you, Dad. You know, we'd still like you to come and be supportive, but we want to put the other five on the show, um, which was really no surprise to any of us, um, because if you have met myself, my mom, my sisters, we're all pretty. Uh, we're pretty vocal, we're pretty loud, we're pretty confident people, um, and so it was no surprise that when we got selected, that those were the five they chose. But but my recommendation would be, be yourself, be confident, don't be over the top, uh, and don't be too quiet, because otherwise I don't think you'll get selected.
1: Zach, just one more question. Has this changed game nights around your house? Has this changed how you guys play with each other?
5: Um, I think it maybe has um, increased the number of game nights maybe <laughs> uh, where where we all we all live somewhat close you know from uh, i'm the farthest north I live in Eagle Mountain, and between Eagle Mountain and Spanish Fork we're all kind of scattered out with I have one sister that does live in St George, but um, we we tend to get together more now to enjoy each other's company while participating in games, uh, maybe than we did before, but we're still pretty uh ultra competitive and no one likes to lose. Um and I think that maybe just enhanced the fact that uh we like to compete with and against each other. <laughs>
1: So there you go. Family Feud is ironically bringing families together. I guess <laughs> as long as you're winning, right? Who knows That's what the right, story yeah. is of the families that lost?
5: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Well, Zach, we really appreciate your time here on the Matt Townsend Show. And it sounds like you had a fantastic experience. And it gives me hope that maybe someday, even though I don't, I have more people in my family than they're calling for on the show, I could still be on a game show like Family Feud or Double Dare oh it's exciting it's an exciting thought Zach you have a good day and uh, when we return we're going to be speaking with our good friends at BYU Sports Nation this is the Matt Townsend Show Finished speaking with Zach Erickson, who was a contestant and big winner on the game show Family Feud. And now we're gonna head over to Spencer and Jerem, two gentlemen that I would love to see on a game show. Spencer and Jerem, come on down. Jeffrey, was that
7: Zach Erickson, former BYU football player, now the Skyline High School head football coach, or a different Zach Erickson?
0: You are correct, sir. Really? Yes.
7: What a tie in there. I didn't know he won on Family Feud.
1: They won five times, which apparently is the maximum number of times that you can win on that show. Yeah.
7: i got to text him right now. Five times. (laughs) I'm texting him right now.
1: So I'm curious to know, if you guys could choose any game show that you could go on by yourself or with your families, which one would you want to be on the most? Wheel of Fortune. Oh, my wife would be right there with you. Wheel of Fortune, absolutely.
7: I feel like that is the best chance for, you know, a novice, yeah, <laughs> amateur game player to win significant money. Right?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Jerem try Sports Jeopardy, but if not, Price is Right.
7: Now, if it were, if it were just me, yeah, then I'm with Jerem. It's. It's Sports Jeopardy with Dan Patrick, but if it involves my family, then I would like a shot for me or someone in my family to be on Wheel of Fortune.
1: <laughs> if you would have asked me that question when I was a kid, I probably would have said either The Price is Right or Double Dare.
0: Oh, Price is Right. Yeah, that'd be fun. Price is Right is kind of random.
1: What do you mean by that?
0: Well, the Wheel of Fortune requires actual skill. Price is Right is like, yeah, I think it's, this vacuum's this much. Well, and have, yeah. And then it's but, you against other people as opposed, you know.
1: But I would I would think that people were that were constantly in grocery stores would do quite well on that show. You'd think. What was your favorite Price is Right game?
0: I like. Whenever I close my trunk, I think of them spinning the wheel at the end of the round or whatever.
7: Whenever you close your trunk?
0: Yeah, because like, I'll grab it with two hands and I'll be like, whoosh. Down, oh, okay. and I'm, I'm imagining that I'm spinning okay. that wheel. I
7: like plinko. Oh yeah.
0: Speaking of random, just like hopefully it goes <laughs> down in the right one.
7: I like plinko, and then the uh, the game that had the yodeler climbing the mountain. I remember that one. Oh yes,
1: yes. <laughs> we were ready for that
7: That's... on cue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is one of my favorites too. Oh yeah.
7: That's amazing. I'm so proud of you for having that ready.
1: <laughs> but it's, it's kind of crazy because Zach shared with us some of the secrets behind what's going on it, I, that's a, a part of the process. You know, you have to jump through all these hoops before you're ultimately chosen to be on the show. And it's a little disappointing because it kind of crushes the dreams of a lot of people, I think, where you just think, oh yeah, I just fill out this form and it's a lottery system and maybe I'm lucky to get on the show, maybe I'm not. But no, you've got to be like a super peppy, energetic person. You've got to make it through like 10 rounds of auditions. It's crazy.
0: Sounds like it's not worth it.
1: <laughs> it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. Yeah. We need to we need to really sympathize and and uh, appreciate those people who spend all that time to get on the show.
7: But it's worth it if you win five times. I mean Zach's got a nice chunk of change.
1: That's right. I think he let me let me give you the numbers here. I think he said when they divided it among the family members, they each ended up with about fourteen grand.
7: That's amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So, uh, Olympics. Have you guys been watching the Olympics?
7: Uh, On and off. here and there. Not much. On and off. On and off. Now, I have been more interested in this specific Winter Olympics because I speak Korean and lived two years of my life in South Korea. So...
0: On the mission trip. Yeah. have (laughs) have mission vacation. I have
7: watched it for, you know, cultural ties and little feature stories and vignettes they've done on the country of Korea, and I loved Sean White's... Crazy, dramatic win in the big air snowboard competition. But other than that, it's it's been kind of spotty for me.
1: Hmm. Okay.
7: I don't know. And America's not really pacing very well. In fact, uh, I saw a report that says they're pacing for their fewest medals in 20 years. Wow. Since 1998, and I believe that was, uh, where, was where was 1998's Winter Olympics? Nagano. Was it in Japan, Nagano? Yeah, because Alberville was 92 and... Lillehammer was 94. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. Oh, poor USA. Not enough gold medals. <laughs> Says USA. nobody
0: yeah, ever. <laughs> <laughs> but that's... we're in debt to China.
1: <laughs> oh, goodness. Did you know, I mean, could you imagine being disqualified from curling? Oh, it's interesting. Doping? Amazing, yes.
7: right? Yeah, I saw Jimmy Fallon do a spoof on you that have the other dope night.
0: to to curl? You're not good. <laughs> Here's,
7: he he put on the he put on the the Russian curler accused of doping, and then uh, they <laughs> they made it look like he uh, threw the stone down the ice at about 150 miles an hour, and then there was a huge explosion at the end. It was awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Bad enough in baseball. Man. So, <laughs>
1: um, what's coming up on BYU Sports Nation here in about seven minutes and three seconds?
0: Mm,
7: let's see. How about? Which game are you more confident in for BYU men's basketball as they approach the final two of the regular season? The game at Portland or the game home to sixth-ranked Gonzaga? Portland. That's the easy and quick answer, but your opinion is not unanimous, Jeff.
0: What? Una- unanimous. Really? And why mm-hmm. the, why the uh, Texas game day experience? Really should be at BYU. We'll tell you what they said yesterday. Mm.
7: Okay. Okay. We also have Blaine Fowler on the show. I spent time uh, at Pacific Beach sorrowing after a BYU loss to San Diego by eating ice cream and watching the sunset with Blaine and his wife, Brenda. It was uh-huh. super fun. So we'll talk about that third wheel experience.
1: Wait a minute. Were you <laughs> were you just slipping in a brag in the into that conversation no. there?
7: No, it was not a brag.
1: When I was strolling on the beach...
7: Yeah, well, listen. We felt like we needed to go to Pacific Beach and eat ice cream after BYU lost to San Diego on Saturday. You monster! I know. Okay. I know.
1: <laughs> sounds like a great show.
7: You know what? We'll
1: I think have, it'll be a decent. We'll Tuesday have a good show.
7: time. It'll yeah. be high energy. There are a lot of opinion-based
1: uh, <laughs> quarrels, if you will.
0: This will be as good of a Tuesday show following a BYU loss on Saturday. <laughs> we
1: can do that sounds like that sounds like a major league baseball statistic. Yes. This is the best show on a Tuesday in February.
0: North of the Mendoza line after the sixth inning. Following a loss on Saturday. In the AL East.
1: Oh, which reminds me, we don't have time for this today, we'll have to talk to you tomorrow. I guess they're making some changes in uh, trying to make base uh, baseball yep. shorter with the oh. pitching mound and the yep. number Hallelujah. of visits and all that. I'll, uh, I'll have Matt Hallelujah. ask you guys about that. But have a great show. We'll Thank talk you, to you Jeffrey. again tomorrow, Spencer and Jerem. Oh my goodness! I'm telling you, you got to do what what Doctor Matt is saying. You got to put some sort of crazy element in there. Get it, some gators in there. Maybe put a time clock on the game. I it's it's funny because for how much I love baseball, I'm saying some things that a lot of people would would consider sacrilegious. You
3: almost. can love baseball without being a baseball purist, and I guess you're you're just. Concerned for the future of the sport that you love. It
1: depends on what, how you would define a purist. I'm definitely not somebody that's at the game in real life and I'm keeping score myself on the official pad that they've got where you fill in the bases and you do the statistics and all that. I'm not doing that. But I'm, I'm there eating nachos, enjoying the game and uh, trying not to get hit by a baseball Anyway, as you know, we like to end each show with our hero story of of the day, and today's a good one. A 17-year-old Florida high school student covered as many as 70 fellow pupils with Kevlar uh, sheets during Wednesday's shooting. After hearing seven shots, Colton Hobb used his reserve officer's training corps ROTC skills a program to train college students to become officers in the U.S. Armed Forces to ensure the loss of life stayed at a minimum. When he had managed to get the students from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School into a junior JROTC room, he realized the Kevlar sheets used in the marksmanship program could be put to good use. He said, We took those sheets and we put them in front of everybody so they weren't seen because they were behind a solid object and the Kevlar would slow the bullet down. I didn't think it was going to stop it, but it would definitely slow it down to make it from a catastrophic to a life-saving thing. Hobbs said he then called a retired police officer friend who coached him through the ordeal. They rolled out several Kevlar sheets, which are made from a similar material to bulletproof vests, and waited. Thankfully, the gunman did not enter the room, although Hobbs and his friends said they had a plan to attack him after they armed themselves with a fire extinguisher and a 2x4 should he do so. Despite his heroics, Hobbs said he wishes he was able to do more after he revealed a friend's sister, Elena Petty, 41, was killed in the shooting. He said, honestly, I wish I could have saved more people. I wish we could have gotten more people in the classroom. Well, you are a hero to us, Colton, and we appreciate your efforts on that tragic day. And he has illustrated that you can be a hero. You can put yourself in harm's way to save others, and that's just what he did. Hopefully it doesn't come to that, though. That's going to do it for this episode, I guess we should say, of the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt should be returning tomorrow. Until then, we've got BYU Sports Nation coming up next here on BYU Radio.